Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody. Hello there. This is John Hindorf. It's pitch dark outside Hindorf Towers tonight. I've barely made it back after a marathon 47-hour journey from Fuji. Don't ask. Don't ask, but it is the unwanted day travel record uh, that we made up. Um, but thank you for to Qatar Airways for at least making life a little more comfortable for us uh, on the way back. This is Midweek Motorsport, uh, live from the UK. And uh, as I said, just after 8 o'clock, this is Series 10, Episode 40, would you believe? And uh, it's a delight, Episode 40. No, I think we've we've skipped some numbers there. Carry on, though. 39. Carry on, carry on. Are you sure? I thought it was uh, much earlier than that, I thought it was about 36. It was 39 last week, so this should be 40. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, That voice in the background is that of our executive producer... Tim Gray, who is up in London, making a return. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Seems like ages since we've uh, we've heard from you. It's not been that long. What has? No, just weeks. a few days. No, weeks. A week. Where have you been? Well, just uh, been sat at home uh, watching motorsport on TV. I watched the uh, Italian Grand Prix at the weekend. Did fall asleep a bit uh, in the middle of it, uh, as you are prone to do. And then uh, I woke up and Lewis Hamilton had won. And uh, didn't look very much like Monza. No, it, that's probably because it wasn't. Okay. Have you fallen into a time warp? Maybe. So, uh, Lewis didn't win the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, he won a Grand Prix at the weekend, but I don't think it was the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, Nick Damon's our Formula 1 correspondent. Maybe he can help us out. He's on my right here at Hindhoff Towers. Yes, he did win the Italian Grand Prix. But Excellent. it wasn't at the weekend. No. <laughs> that was several weeks ago. It was a few weeks ago, I guess, before Tim disappeared. Is that the last Grand Prix you saw? Into a vortex. Have I disappeared? Um, well, you've reappeared now, but you did disappear. Uh, Nick's a bit louder than you, John, if uh, All right. to do something about that. Okay. Uh, so what was the Grand Prix that uh, Lewis won at the weekend? Sochi. Sochi. So I've lost five weeks of my life. Yes, you was have. It, was yeah, it a good excellent. five weeks? Is it really that long since we, we haven't... You've been on the show in the last five weeks, though, haven't you? Well, clearly not. Johnny Palmer. Wow, okay. All good stuff then. You've uh, compensated too much for Nick Damon now. <laughs> <coughs> right. Uh, so, on a packed show tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features. Uh, Excellent. We'll be joined by uh, our usual guest, Graham Goodwin from Race. Uh, no, he's not from Race Car Engineering. He's from Daily no. Sports Car. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Hang on, uh, hang on. Stop. In <laughs> my parallel universe, Graham he's Goodwin. <laughs> Would be at race car engineering. But this and, is only uh, the tenth series of this. Have you forgotten completely how we do this? And uh, Sam Sam Collins, uh, he would uh, he'd work. He's, for he's at racer. Mary Claire Marshall, or someone like that. And Marshall Pruitt at DailySportsCar.com in your parallel universes. Uh, yes. And Sam Collins isn't turning up again. Yes. 
No, Sam Collins is a paragon of timing virtue in his ah, parallel universe. Ah, yes. Of course he is. That's why he's got uh, a job at Marie Claire. Of, of course. What? Uh, apologies for absence tonight. Let's rattle through a few. The most important one comes from Lounsey's car, who tweeted at Specutainment. Apologies for absence. Just got back from winning a small race at Bathurst and had all my panels stripped. Hello. Nasty. Uh, Pete Newton uh, gets the sarcasm award of the week early in. Apologies for absence. I won't be listening, but I might reverse that decision and suspend the idea. Mm. Uh, because of a late flight back from Italy, uh, Fabian says uh, I'll possibly be uh, late tonight. A little sightseeing tour as well. Uh, Pete Hilton says he will be listening tonight. And he's already booked his Flex Hotel. Presumably for Le Mans next year. Uh, Jim Rattan says apologies for absence. Still collecting... Uh, P2 bodywork from all over Fuji Raceway and what else have we got tonight uh, this week uh, no apologies for absence I will be listening this is from Wiki Smurf uh, Smurfs of Blue Nord uh, will be listening while wi- writing a PhD thesis which is nice and uh, I think that's about it for, oh no hang on still on my high horse about Fuji and can't reach the buttons on the radio says James right uh, very good I like that one very good indeed so there you go uh, no apologies from uh, Jack Shalowski who is uh, listening this evening at Specutainment at Radio Le Mans this is the usual stuff we're five minutes in so it's time for the news jingle and a bit of shuffling papers Tim all the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story tonight is what, Tim? Well, we might as well carry on talking about Formula One. Uh, although we have given away the results of both the Italian oh. and Russian Grand Prix. Yes. I think the Italian result's fine. Yes. I'd, I'd, that, that's not going to be an issue to anybody who, who hasn't been caught in a similar parallel time-lapse universe quantum leap jump uh, as you have, Sam. Shall we talk about the... Uh, um, the weather in Sochi, Ziggy. The weather in Sochi? Well, it was kind of damp uh, for free practice two. It was oily for free practice one. Yeah. Uh, and there and was a plague was of frogs, was there not? Near enough, yes. <laughs> they, I did have everything. I did. I have to say, I did feel slightly sorry uh, for Sochi and almost for Formula One. Uh, I'm not sure that if you employ people who think you clean up diesel with water, you deserve very much. Yes, I did laugh out loud when I read that. That was I actually was sitting in the commentary box when that came through, and that was very very funny. So I think I think uh, Martin, who was with us the weekend, said it's it's by the sea, not short of sand. (laughs) Fair point. Yes. Hello to Neil Gardner, by the way, who is uh, uh, listening but sticking his tongue out, concentrating while he's drawing. Very nice drawing of a Porsche as well. I seem to recognise that Porsche. Thank you, Neil. Nice to know he's getting on with that. Uh, and so, uh, yes, the weather played a part. Um, well, it just wiped out, um, effectively practice was wiped out for the second race in a row. Because we had Friday wiped out in uh, uh, Japan because it rained the whole time it was dry for the actual race. And it was, it was wiped out by oil and rain uh, last weekend. So we had two races in a row, which just have restarted on Saturday morning. Is mm. that what you're getting at, Tim? Yes. Excellent. And what happened? Mercedes still won. Well, I actually did only see the highlights of uh, the race. Uh, and the version of the highlights that I saw uh, was so badly edited, uh, I couldn't really tell what was going on. But Nico Rosberg had a mechanical problem. He did. His throttle stopped working. Always so it, it wouldn't, uh, a, well, no, a problem it, it, on a Formula 1 car. It wouldn't come off enough, so he was getting, eventually he was getting pushed on into corners. 
So everyone turned around and said, well done, Nico. You, you out-qualified Lewis. And well done, Nico. You, you've stayed ahead of Lewis for three corners. And oh, you've broken down. And then from that, they extrapolated the fact that he would definitely have won the race, which is a little bit more than I could say. Um, I did like the fact when he said, I've got a throttle problem. Um, what happens if it gets stuck on? And the engineer went quiet for a moment, then came, obviously reading through the manual. Yeah. Uh, I know, don't, don't worry, worry, it will be overridden with the brake. Yes. He actually cool. used the word kill. Yes. Which um, isn't the word you want to hear when you've got your throttle stuck in a fast sport, uh, fast racing car, is it? Well, here's the other thing as well about that, though, Nick. Um, I thought that you weren't allowed to have um, systems that interacted with each other like that. No, so, you know, throttle and brake's fine. So that means that you can't throttle and brake together. But it's designed to stop you doing that. So you save that, fuel. On the fuel reason, there's, there's a limited amount of overlap allowed. Right. And that's why he was getting some push on, because the engine was carrying on running. Um, but yeah, you, you won't get stuck open on a fly-by-wire. The brake will, will take it down to whatever the, probably the anti-stall is. Right. Okay. But, I mean, it's... Uh, Another 10p piece, 10p piece of equipment uh, letting down the multi-million pound Mercedes. So was it literally the rear start on the end of the they throttle? Have, they haven't said, but it would be something on the very basic fly-by-wire instruction set not working. So it's it'd be a spring or a grommet or something ridiculous, wouldn't it? Um, so obviously after having had a similar problem, um, but the opposite thing where they couldn't get the throttle full on with Lewis in Singapore. Um, they've had a couple of little reliability issues, but interestingly, um, it's not stopping them winning the races mm. by a long way. And now Lewis is 60-something points ahead of... 75. Fettel and 72 oh. ahead of yeah. um, Rosberg. And in a marvellous piece of not knowing what the hell they're talking about as far as maths were concerned, um, Sky kept saying he needs, he needs, he needs three more points, which doesn't make any sense at all. So never, never listen to commentators when they're trying to tell you what points are. I never... Because they had no idea. I, I try never to do that. I have Jeremy Shaw and Graham Goodwin. And That's a much better idea. People so, like to do that. Yeah, part, right? and, and in fairness, you know, they didn't show an awful lot of the Mercedes again, mainly because there wasn't an awful lot to show. They weren't obviously banning it. It just it wasn't very interesting. So they uh, they showed the rest of the cars all scrapping around. However, there has been something won at the weekend, courtesy yes. of a steward's decision. Courtesy of a stupid move by Raikkonen. It was a bit daft, wasn't it? it was just going, I'm not, I, you know, I think... I think that's interesting that people are trying to say that one of the indications of Vettel's renaissance and after a terrible year last year is how well he's spanking Raikkonen. I begin to get the impression I'd have a good chance against Raikkonen. Um, you know, he was obviously roundly beaten almost to the same level uh, or similar level last year by um, uh, Fernando Alonso. And now he's, and don't forget, he was also beaten by Felipe Massa a few years ago as well. So beating Raikkonen unless you're Roman Grosjean appears to be reasonably easy. So, um, yeah, um, I don't think I think he's just really just not um, where he was eight nine years ago when he won the world championship. And certainly not ten years ago when he was incredibly quick in the, the McLarens of those years. So I think he's a bit past his best. I'm still surprised they've retained him for an extra year. Um, but then a nice malleable number two um, is probably what Sebastian wants for his theoretical pitch for the championship in 2016. Yeah, they can in some way try and make up the three quarters of a second they're actually behind. Mm, we'll uh, never see how far they're behind because Mercedes never go that fast. Very quick uh, hello to Ted the Toyman who is listening because he got his uh, bus timetable wrong on his way to Phillip Island for the Australian Motor GP. Nick and I are tremendously envious. I wouldn't I go there by bus. I don't want bus. <laughs> I'd... I, I, listen, I would walk there if I was somewhere close enough. I would love to go to Philadelphia. Nowhere is close enough to walk to. The front gate? 
Having said that, me and uh, or Johnny Palmer and me did park in one of the side roads uh, on the beach and uh, walk to it. But mm. that was just uh, around the perimeter fence, really. So. Nick Dearman, it was a big weekend. You were in Brno, it was chilly. It was, it was chilly. Um, it, but it was a big weekend for Gaffer Tape. Yeah, oh, in, in Brno. Gaffer Tape starred however, in many colours. Well, however, before we start talking about that later on, and whilst we're still in Formula One, yes. yes. Um, clearly, Formula One have been taking their lead from Nick Damon mm-hmm. that, that anything in motor racing, there is nothing that can't be fixed with enough gaffer tape, tie wraps and a four-pound lump hammer. Especially if it's the safer barrier, which has been busted and defaced effectively and you just tape it over with silver powered tape, so it looks all right. Uh, I read some... <laughs> Yes, it looks all right. The point is it lost all the bits out of the I middle. I kind of was a bit surprised when I saw that, mm. in that that doesn't seem very safe to me. There was a couple of interesting pieces of marshalling going on. There was a very brave marshal who ran out in front of Sebastian Vettel's car to rescue. Brave or badly advised? Absolutely stupid. Um, advised. Uh, stupid. Uh, well, ran no, out in front no. Of I, I'll never... Conf- I'll, I, I, I hate to hear criticisms of marshals because they do jobs that nobody else will do and without them we can't go on. However, um, the case was at the weekend that Russia refused any outside assistance from marshals, mm-hmm. uh, international marshals, and uh, tried to do it themselves. Well, they did it themselves and they showed some inexperience and they also there showed some cobbling together. Um, I heard somebody describing the Tech Pro Barrier incident as, right, Here's what to do. Hello, Mr. Safety Delegate. Hello, Charlie. Mr. Whiting. Um, Next time you want to do something like that, how about trying this? What I'm going to do is put a pillow in front of your head and hit you with the frying pan. Okay? Mm -hmm. That works. Now I'm going to take all the feathers out of the pillow (laughs) and still put the pillowcase in front of your head. With duct tape on it. With duct tape on it. Yeah. Um, And now hit you with the frying pan. And I thought that was a reasonable analogy, frankly. Yes, it was. How did that allow... To, well, two questions. You're a Formula One correspondent, I am. right? Yes. How was that allowed to continue? Mm-hmm. And how, after a, a reported 42G impact, and I'm still feeling a bit dizzy this morning before I go to race, was no, no, Carlos no, Sainz... No, Carlos Sainz said he felt a bit dizzy in the car. He never said he felt dizzy in before he got in there, because then he wouldn't be able to get in. Right, OK. How was he... How, given the... The massive amount of concern there is about concussion in injuries at the moment in all sports. How was he cleared fit to race? Because they thought, oh, we'll listen to the driver and we'll assume he's going to tell us the truth. And then... And maybe he, he just wasn't concussed. He did the whole, wow, that's amazing. Well, no, he, he may well not have had concussion. He may well have had his rattle around the inner ear issues. Who knows? But it would have seemed to me that after crashing that hard and not qualifying, it might have been an idea to just stand him down for the race. But, you know, mm. instead he went that he around... didn't qualify break. purely down to the fact that he wasn't at the circuit at the time. Still counts as not qualifying. Yes. Not, he, couldn't, he couldn't be bothered to have a qualifying. He's hanging around in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Um, no, I mean, I think health I, service is not very good, though. Well, it? it's very good. He was out quicker. He got a TV, which I noticed was, was an old 14-inch cathode ray tube to watch qualifying, and he was out in a couple of hours, and then he was saying, I'm fine, I can, whoa, I can drive. Whoa! But yeah, um, he shouldn't have been. Really. It was a damn sight quicker than if he'd got to Northampton General. I've lost days of my life they, in there. He wouldn't have got. He, he, look, the There's race, the race was started long before he got through casualty. Yes, absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think it was. 
there were a few questions raised from the uh, the running of the Russian Grand Prix. Though fairs, I thought the track was was much, was quite good this year. Mm. Lots of good racing. I thought they had that whole thing going. But the um, sometimes you need to ask for a bit of help. And uh, as, as John alluded to, there is some some criticism coming up at the moment about um, Charlie Whitey's multiple roles and whether he can do all those all those roles effectively. And perhaps you should start giving some of the others away. But uh, obviously, we know F1's a very small, very interesting world. If you weren't a mechanic for Brabham, you weren't very high up in the organisation. Or a shoe shop salesman, of course. The, uh, and the... the uh, yes, well, you've brought, you've brought up uh, uh, Charlie's rules, rules, which seem to sometimes conflict because he is the permanent starter. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. That's not hard. That's not pressing a button. Yeah, and the, You wouldn't and, employ someone just to do that job. No. Absolutely agree. Well, he's the yeah. he's the FIS safety delegate. delegate. He's the guy who assesses the tracks. He's the guy who um, work is the ultimate arbiter of some of the regulations. They'll write to Charlie and say, "Is this is all right? Or is this not all right?" He, you know, so he's quite an important person, really. Hmm. Okay. You'd expect the safety delegate to also be responsible for homologation tracks, though, wouldn't you? Mm, would you? But they're not, should there not be a track? Well, he has to have some involvement. But they should be, yes. But, but he solely does it, doesn't he? Mm. Okay, moving on. Uh, team it wasn't just Formula One at the uh, no. weekend at Sochi. There was also. Oh, have, we, uh, have we finished that now? We? Yeah. Was also, oh, did we mention Force India? Well, we. What, well, we, did, we, didn't, we didn't mention that we were trying to mention. I was trying to get uh, Nick to talk about the fact that Mercedes Benz have won a championship. Oh, well, the contract championship. Oh, yes. yes, that's right. Mm. Stop um, getting uh, sent off on a tangent, Nick. Talk uh, sorry. Talk about our constructors' champions. They've won the constructors' championship again. Atacanta. Well done. Was uh, it the same race last year? That they did? No, they went with three races to go last year, but that was because one of the races was double points. So it's sort of effectively the same amount of races out. Um, and uh, yeah, well done. It's, you know, they've really done very well. They've invested well in those uh, in in several years ago to get this uh, new form of racing right. And and some other teams who didn't invest very well, or whose partners didn't invest very well, and then who slagged off their partners uh, non-stop for two years, um, seem to be having issues. And um, today, we'll we'll come back to the other racing because there there was a racing or there was some racing in the dark which we weren't expecting at Sochi. No one was. Um, <laughs> Was that GP3? There was qualifying in the dark. Yeah. That was GP3, yes. Yes. Um, interesting. Um, not sure that should have been allowed either. Um, it wasn't dark when they started, <laughs> officially. <laughs> is, is that, yeah, because it's what's called, it was, you know, dusk. It got dark. That happens quite a lot, you know. What? It goes from light in, to dusk In October, to it happens mm. a, a lot mm. in the evenings. Yes. Yeah, people mm. do. Yeah, obviously, sometimes in midsummer it doesn't happen at all at North Pole. But just going back to uh, Red Bull, there, uh, Red Bull now saying they may be forced out of Formula One. Yes, everyone doesn't like them because they're too good. Or perhaps you're just really irritated by being smug cheaters. Oh, sorry, effective rule readers. Sorry, mm. and uh, being completely um, disingenuous for several years and not playing the game. And oh, look. We all laughed last year as you struggled, and this year you've carried and you've just decided to be nasty to people. Why are they uh, being forced out? Why because is no one will give them an engine. Because they, well, That's not I... true. No one who they've asked for an engine will give them an engine. Correct. No one will give them... Well, who, 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 who are you say they haven't asked? Honda say they've not had any approach from Red Bull. Ah. 
Yeah. So Ferrari, good. Ferrari have said no, and um, Mercedes have said, said no. no. And Ferrari said we can't do it. We haven't got the capacity. We'll give you last year's engine, which ah. may or may not be legal anyway. However, there's uh, a rule change on the way for that. That means that oh, there's you, many rule changes on the way for that. You won't be able to supply 2016 engines. Um, 2015 engines. 2015 engines for 2016. Yes, because they change because the homologation rules are going back to the way they're supposed to be, and not the way they were reinterpreted this year because someone read the rules better again. Though oddly, that was Ferrari this time and not Red Bull. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose probably the idea of having a Honda engine, even though it would get completely uh, vetoed by McLaren, uh, is not very attractive when you spend all this time uh, slagging off Renault for not being very good. Yes. Have they actually asked Renault to continue? I believe the main. If you were been... Renault, would you say yes at this point? Well, well no, no, no. That, 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 that I, was my I, next I question. I believe what happened was. Um, Mercedes said no, and they're sticking with no. And apparently, also, Dieter Maschischik hates Mercedes. There's some sort of long-standing feud between Red Bull and Mercedes. I've no idea what it is, but there is one. Okay. It could be just that they, you know, you know Mercedes helped Marco as an idiot, and um, Dieter doesn't. But um, so they went to Ferrari, and Ferrari kind of ummed and nerd a bit, and Ferrari kind of thought, you know, and shrugged in a Latin Mediterranean type of way. Because basically, I think that the the Ferrari, the corporate brand, quite fancied the idea of getting linked in and, and doing it. But Ferrari, the race team, said, don't, don't really think we want to give the same engine as us. Could be a bit embarrassing, because mm-hmm. um, we're not that confident about our chassis. Right. Uh, so that, they went, oh, so we'll, and they do, we'll do give you. still have Adrian Newey, even though he doesn't actually do anything yet. Yeah, oh yeah, we all believe that. Um, that's why he's come out the press to take it. It's not fair. Uh, and so anyway, so they they, they think oh, we have last year's engine, and they went, no, far too important to have last year's engine. We have this year's engine. <laughs> and they went, nah. And then Bernie went, I really think you should do that. And they went, nah. And then Bernie went, well, we could always be, you know, be nice to Renault again. So basically, the the girlfriend who they have cheated on and dumped on Facebook four times and <laughs> tweeted about tweeted about how ugly she was and how she's got fat and they don't like her anymore. They're now going to have to go going back grovelling to her and going, oh, I didn't really mean it. You're lovely. I'm sorry so about that. I'm sorry about the Italian bird I was chatting up with the German, the German girl, girl. and that Japanese woman who wouldn't talk to me, give me the time of day. I didn't bother talking to her. I know I went out. I know I was talking. I know I was talking to that big German friend of mine. He got in trouble for smoking too much, you know, and that sort of thing. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, yeah, and now they're going. So, are, have they asked Renault yet, or will is that the inevitable end of days? Um, Renault, there is a contract. I've no idea where Renault don't want to deal with them because they're horrible, and so, you know. It's their own fault. If they Can I just point out that that uh, last sentence from Nick is his own view and not the view of uh, Radio Show Limited? Yes, indeed. What? Because they're horrible. They are horrible. They're horrible people to. I mean, why would anybody want to supply a team that's ungrateful, does not say anything nice about you in the four years you win the championship, and then slags you off and doesn't understand the word team? In 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 fairness, it's not exactly a PR coup, then, is it? No, they have really. I think. What the problem was, I think, is they started believing in their own hype and their own arrogance. And they kind of thought, do you know what? I reckon that other people want to give us their engines. They want to be associated with Red Bull. They want to be young and vibrant. Yes, hey, hey. And basically everyone went, not really, because if you go bust, we can have Max Verstappen for nothing, so bye. Mm. And that was it, really, because the problem is that, you know, there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth last year when uh, Catering were in trouble. I've not seen anyone 
nobody cares if Red Bull goes under, apart from obviously the employees of Milton Keynes. No, no, and, uh, yes, and we have said that. Okay, um, um, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 10, episode 40. This uh, coming in, Nick Holland talking about the uh, interlinking of brake and throttle. That kind of interaction could be oh, open to abuse, uh, traction management-wise. Uh, Martin Webb says thank you to, to uh, all you at RSL for all of your coverage at the weekend. Yes, we were quite busy, weren't we? Thank you very much for that. Uh, we've got Marshall Pruitt tweeting. We'll have him on the show uh, the in the second hour. Rob Jane says Marshalls are normally instructed at F1 by race control, normally by local experts used to racing at the circuit. Jason Gore also making the point. Is anyone used to racing at Sochi, given that well, it's hosted about four races ever? Exactly. That, and I think that's the point that Rob is making. Jason Gore uh, makes the same point, normally released onto the uh, track by race control. Uh, the uh, I know of a merry band of, Marsh, Mar- of marshals who would happily go and train the guys at Sochi. I'm sure they would. Uh, Mercedes did win the Constructors title at Sochi last year, says Sven Johnson. Yes, but it was, it was only three races to go at that point, and there were four races to go this time. Yes, fair point. Because Mexico's been added. Yes. Same uh, place, different part in the place in the calendar, though. If they were at Sochi next year, it'd be really impressive because it's round five. Uh, Sam... Uh, Sam Collins has uh, uh, tweeted uh, at hair and wardrobe and said, what do you mean, parallel universe? Oh, you speak American there, okay. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, so, uh, is that it on Formula 1? Uh, yes, but not it on support races, because although right. we've mentioned uh, GP2's uh, Brenda Three. Russell impression, sorry, GP3's Brenda Russell impression, uh, we have yet to talk about GP2. Brenda Russell plays piano in the dark. Indeed. Very good. Where the heck's that come from? Oh, that's that pill. That just that came out of nowhere. Uh, GP2, yes, we GP2, have a new champion. We have a new champion. And, we do. Uh, it's not uh, a surprise either, was, is it? I was sending a text message to John earlier about this, saying I wanted mm. this included in the show. And, and uh, predictive text... Um, was not kind to Stoffel Van Dorn. <laughs> I really? don't even want to know. It called him <laughs> Stiffy Van Dorn Mirrors. <laughs> Which is what he's going to be called from now Stiffy on. Stiffy Van Dorn Mirrors. Well, you Stiff- can't argue with that, can you, really? <laughs> so I wondered whether any other GP2 drivers' uh, names oh, came up with anything no. amusing when you put them through predictive text. Okay. Is the uh, answer all of them? So we've got, uh, no, Alex Lynn, for example, came up as Alex Lynn. Oh, that's very boring. Mm. Uh, and some of them aren't that good, like Robert Vision instead of uh, Robert Vizio U. Renew mm. uh, Binder instead of Rene Binder. Quite like that. Mm. Uh, but we do have uh, Pierre Point Gaslight. <laughs> <laughs> that's so obviously the, uh, his sister Fanny. Uh, Bye. <laughs> yes. uh, Nobby Harry Marsupial. Is that right, Harry Unzo? That's fantastic. <laughs> no, it's not Harry Unzo. It's uh, Nobuharu Matsushita. Nobby was in? Nobuharu. Nobby Harry Marsupial. Oh, okay. And I finally, hope you're writing all these down because we'll need mm. to use these in the future. Finally, Sergio Canam Assassination. <laughs> well, that's how Canam Assassination? Yeah. Canamassius, right, I believe, uh, is uh, what it preferred to be called. 
Adrian so, Michael Reese says, didn't Johnny Chicotta or Junior come out as Johnny Cacti? No, because uh, my phone seems to recognise Chicotta. I don't know why. Uh, you'll have typed it in many times. It's like many my phone li- likes to change things to homologation for no apparent reason, which tells you a lot about how the BlackBerry learns things yes. and how many times I've typed in homologation for various things. I think I've typed it in once and I couldn't spell it then. Uh, we're getting ready for some sports car news we'll need uh, Graham Goodwin shortly we are indeed Um, and we will have Graham Goodwin shortly Um, so yes uh, Stoffel van Dorn uh, is he likely to follow in the footsteps of other Van Dormeris. Yes, other great uh, uh, GP2 champions and uh, uh, not racing Formula 1 I think there's every chance he won't race in Formula 1 really? he he was the hot tip though wasn't he? where's he going to go? Now that McLaren have nailed their mast to Alonso and, uh, and Button for another year. Right, hang on though. Who, um, who's got the Honda engines? Just them. Just them? Just yes. them. No one else? Possibly ah. Red Bull if they ask politely. Yeah, or, or Toro Rosso in the but Flying no, Man Flame concert. The, but there's no seats at either of those two right now, is there? There's no seats. The only, the only seats uh, as yet unassigned are at Manor. And the second seat is Haas. Although oh, yes, we, uh, yes. Except we know that's going well, to be Gutierrez. That's Gutierrez, yes. So there's, yeah. there's only the, the When Manor he's not playing seats. for Newcastle, obviously. And there's a good chance that one of those seats is going to be a Pasco Verline, and the second seat is going to go somewhere with a huge amount of money. Um, and I can't see McLaren placing their driver in a Mercedes-powered car um, when they've just spent all this money getting out and not being in Mercedes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is nearly half past eight. Good evening if you are just joining us. Uh, if you've missed the first half hour, worry not. It will be on the uh, podcast uh, as soon as is humanly possible at the end of this show. Coming up uh, later on, we've got in the second hour, we'll be talking uh, sports car racing. Uh, we've got uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com to come in this hour. We've got... Also in next hour, we'll have Marshall Pruitt, who has got a shed load of news. Oh, no, that's Graham, isn't it? Who's <laughs> got all that. Uh, however, last week we uh, did mention that we were going to try and get a word with the people behind the new GT3 Corvette programme. If you remember, we were talking uh, about the Callaway Corvette programme. It was... Uh, uh, unveiled in Germany uh, a couple of weekends ago when I was at uh, Petit Le Mans. We just didn't run out of time, basically, to try and get that on before uh, we all shipped off to uh, Fuji. But uh, I'm delighted to say that this evening, the uh, man behind the programme has uh, been able to uh, to give us some time. So uh, we will be delighted to welcome to Midweek Motorsport for the very first time uh, from Germany, Ernst Voer from uh, Callaway Corvette. Good evening, Ernst. Good evening, John. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to Midweek Motorsport tonight here on RadioLeMond.com. Um, just give me, first of all, we're very excited. Everybody's very excited, of course, about this new project uh, from Callaway Corvette. The car looks fantastic. Tell me a little bit about the project. How did it start and how long have you been working on this beautiful looking machine? Well, actually, the plan was uh, to come out with this car one year early 
but it was stopped by those convergence discussions that the FIA was having with the car manufacturers on one side and on the other side, uh, because General Motors uh, told us they sign so we can homologate the car with the FIA. They will sign us, but they do not want us to run the cars in the U.S., because they don't want, on one side, competition to their Cadillac, and on the other side, they don't want to run, at that time, in, in, in IMSA or two-door, with two Corvettes in one race that are two different cars. So I guess we had to respect that, and so the whole project was delayed until uh, in June 2014, the FIA said that the convergence dis discussions are now stopped and turned down, and that it will remain, that GD3 will remain GD3 and GTE will stay GDE. So that's when we basically started off to uh, work on the car permanently on the computer in, in, in designing bits and pieces and uh, around the chassis. And in December, we started to define the body shape. And so you can say we, we actually work on the on the project uh, in, in, in our heads for about two years and in reality one and a half years until we made the date for the balance of performance in early September. Yeah, and that's uh, that's obviously something that everybody has to do. So off you went to France to Ladoux, um to do that balance of performance test and everything everything was okay? Yes, uh, we, I think we were lucky again. Uh, we just had a rollout a week before to make sure that uh, all the fluids stay in the car and that, that the wheels turn and the brakes work and uh, basically what has to work on the BOP. And then uh, went back for a check and loaded for France. And uh, from France, we we also took our existing race car so we could go then from France to Sanford for the race. And we were lucky, uh, having helped again. Everything worked out fine on the BOP, yes. So... Corvette is such a evocative brand name. It has such a following around the world, Ernst. Um, already, I know there must have been uh, quite a lot of interests from teams uh, in Europe and across the, the rest of the world. GT3 is such a, uh, an expansive now category. Um, this is a... We must make the point, this is a customer car that you guys are building. You expect, you want to sell cars to markets all over the world. Yes, of course, that's the desire. But uh, you can imagine about the difficulties for a small company and a small team like we are. Uh, first of all, we have to prove that the car works. That means we have to go testing now as soon as we can. Unfortunately, the weather does not prove to be the same like last year where we could test in Hockenheim on our home track till Christmas uh, because the track at one is very safe and uh, second, we have the best references there. Uh, so we have to consider going testing elsewhere and uh, uh, parallel start to build a couple cars probably over winter, but I don't expect that next year we will, we will be able to to uh, deliver a bunch of cars to any customers because I think that would be too early. We have to first make sure that the car works as good as it looks, John. Yeah, well, if it 
goes half as well as it looks, then it's going to be very competitive indeed. You've sort of answered my next question, partially at least. What is the timetable and and what do you expect to do with the cars from your point of view, from the racing side of things and indeed from the customer side of things? Clearly, you've got to prove the car. You've you've mentioned that. Do you expect to take on a full championship next year or will you be picking and choosing specific events? Well, right now we have made a, a, a contract to a, a customer and a sponsor in the U.S., which will have one car with two American drivers running in either the ADAC GD Masters or in the Blancpain Endurance. We don't know yet. Uh, we have to negotiate that. But clearly the plan is to have at least two cars running the full season next year, preferably three. Uh, or maybe two cars and have one customer car to a customer that has asked us for uh, having an early car and who is willing to take a part on the development more or less and not to expect to have the full uh, ready car uh, right out of the box. So uh, this uh, is the plan, and but we definitely need to run at least two cars next year. Uh, obviously, you, you mentioned there your liaison with the guys from Whelan, with Eric Curran, um, who we know very well from their exploits in uh, in the uh, IMSA Championship, Tudor as it was this year, WeatherTech as it will be uh, next year. That's that's very exciting. Um, I need to take you back because everyone is asking this and and you know what the question's going to be about this situation in the States. The agreement that you have with General Motors, is that you guys won't campaign the car in the States. Um, how does that work? And how would you stop a customer, let's say at the end of the year, you've built maybe four or five cars, um, somebody buys a car and decides they want to go and run it at Daytona in 2017. How do you stop that? How do you police that? And, and how does that agreement work with General Motors? Well, John, I think that we, first of all, we have to respect our agreement, which was, uh, yes, if you don't want us to race against the, 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 the cars from the other cars from General Motors, specifically the Cadillacs, we have to respect that and we won't do that. But let's just assume we still would want to do it. Uh, I think there would be big problems with the organizers because GM has a lobby in the U.S., and, uh, and uh, I'm sure that the organizers will not let the cars run. That's, uh, they've, they've clearly been, been uh, shown or, or, or telling us more or less, uh, you know, here we, we are in trouble if you really want to come. You know, so uh, I don't think that it, it can happen unless General Motors or the responsible people at, Gen- people at General Motors will say, OK, we want your GT3 car to run in the U.S., which would make a lot of sense because... Other manufacturers have, as you know, four different brands in, in the race, you know. So uh, people don't understand why the most popular and most, uh, well, the sports car of America cannot run in GD3, but it's hard to tell. Uh, our listeners think exactly the same, Ernst, and uh, we obviously respect uh, your... Uh, loyalty and you are honouring an agreement with with GM in in not doing that but as it stands at the moment um, 
in particularly in the IMSA Championship. I understand about World Challenge where the the Cadillacs have just won uh, the championship again with Johnny O'Connell, my old uh, broadcast uh, TV uh, colleague. Uh, but as as it stands at the moment, we're not sure whether the Cadillacs will even come to GT. D, GT Daytona next year um, so GM might not be represented there there'll be no Camaros there next year because of the change in, in regulations so there is, there's potentially a hole there isn't there well yeah but then you know the other wish comes to count which is that they don't want a GTE and a GT3 car in the same race you know <laughs> So, uh, yes, then potentially we could have three Corvettes, couldn't we? We'd have a DP Corvette, a GTLM Corvette, and, and a GT3. That makes my life more difficult as a commentator. I understand that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably you know the, the answer from GM if we if we would ask, can we run there? You know, they clearly they clearly told us that their opinion has not changed and uh, that they signed us to homologate the car, especially for Europe and the customers here and the rest of the world, but not North America. So that's still their uh, standpoint of view. Let's talk about the rest of the world then. Um, You mentioned the development of the car moving forward uh, in 2016. But uh, as I've said, you must be aware that there'll be a lot of a uh, lot of interest in this car, and pers- and also, of course, it's something different. Uh, potentially, how many cars could you build? How many cars could you support if there were customers for them? Well, uh, you know, John, we are in the moment uh, looking in America. Although we don't, uh, we are not able to run in America. But Reeves Callaway and his uh, team and uh, and uh, in America, and we here are looking for a partner who will partner up with us and say, okay, let's come up with a business plan and see how, how many cars could be made and how many cars could be sold. I think uh, a fair number is that within the next three years, we, we could probably build 20 cars, you know, if we have a partner that secures the. We are a very, very small team and company. We need a partner to secure the financing, so we can uh, put the parts and bits in stock to build cars and to support customers around the world. Yeah, we yeah. have a little bit of experience. We've had cars in Brazil. We have had cars. One car in Australia. We've had cars in Japan. So we know what it means. Uh, if you need to hop on the plane and, and fly there and, and, and like like our our one of our engineers did in Japan, they have just messed up the complete calibration of the car so the cars didn't run anymore. So he just flew over with a computer on his, his arm uh, uh, with a laptop and, and, and played all the, the programs back onto the onto the car and, and back he came, you know. So so uh, we think we could build and support about twenty cars within the next three to four years, and that's probably the lifetime of a race car. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't expect that we could do the same again, like with the C06 uh, GD3, F10 years. That was 10 years in existence. That's not what we think will happen and should happen. T- tell me about the, and we wish you all the best with that, tell me about why an American, such an American company, 
as Callaway is uh, linked, inextricably linked in terms of its racing with you guys out in Germany. How did that link come about and how did it come that the racing side, particularly for this uh, project and for other projects in the past, ended up being in Germany and, and not in the US? Well, uh, this goes back to the late 80s when we really when we really joined with Callaway to, to be their distributor in Europe and take care of the twin turbo Corvettes that have been great exported and people were not aware of what's the difference between American fuel and German fuel or, or European fuel. And uh, so we started to raise Corvettes in 1990-91, which was a historical uh, GT, uh, you know, a 65 Corvette. We were very successful. Then we went to 93 for the ADAC GT Cup with the first modern Corvette with Boris said behind the wheel, which was a, a big success as the underdog among all factory supported European cars and, and, and Honda. And then uh, that's when Reeves started to tell his dream, which was to race an own car, an own Callaway car at Le Mans. So Le Mans has always been the American dream, more or less. And, uh, and we started, and, and he said, actually, what does it take to change your 93 car into a Le Mans car? And, and I said, that's not possible. We need to build an endurance car from scratch. And uh, so he brought, he, he came up with a budget and uh, in a real short amount of time, like from February to May, we created the 94 Le Mans car, and, uh, which was really successful in 94 in, in BPR and 95 in Le Mans. And that's how, uh, and, and Reeves has always been a man who has respected the best stuff he can buy around the world. So yes. he says, you know, if a, if a, Germany, a German company makes the best this, we buy it there. If a Japanese guy makes the best that, we buy it there. And, and so he said, uh, at that time, they had a lot of work to do in America. You know, they were working for Aston Martin and, and, and all kinds of things. And, and they said, hey, why don't you keep building those cars? Mm -hmm. And then in 94, when we were at Le Mans, Reeves decided to stay here uh, for an extended amount of time, which had to do with uh, him having problems with his wife and me having problems with my wife. So we decided <laughs> to, to get together into one apartment and stayed there for three years, you know. <laughs> And, and, and that's really part of how Reef saw the value of having us work on the racing side and having them do their jobs, you know. Am I right in saying that at that time, I, I remember the cars at Le Mans in 94, who can forget them, they were brilliant. Um, am I right in saying that Callaway was recognised then, maybe still is, but was recognised as a constructor in their own right by certainly the ACO, if not the FIA, Ernst? Well, uh, you know, in, in 97, actually we started in 95 to build the own Callaway, which was called C7, as yeah, the yeah. seventh project of, of Callaway. Uh, we started in 95 to build that car, uh, which was a complete own GD1 car, uh, which was made to ACO and BPR rules and specifications. And so... The rule then said that you have to one you have to have one street homologated car in order to be able to homologate a race car. 
And so we had one car built for the street, fully homologated for, for German street use, and then started to build the race car. We, we started to test with this street car, converted it more or less into a racing type street car, and then built the race car. And, and just as we went through that program, the BPR series was sold to the FIA. And the FIA said, no, 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 no. We don't want one streetcar. We want 25 streetcars from you. And that's when Porsche, Mercedes, and the others built those 25 cars. But we couldn't build 25 cars, 1.5 million Deutschmark each. So that's how we got killed with that project. And, uh, and the car was recognized as a Callaway car registered in Germany. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a pity because the only time we could show that the car ever was drivable was in Daytona in 97 when they said, okay, you can run in the GTS class with that car. So that was the only time we, we ran the car and we debuted the car in a 24-hour race. You know how hard that is. <laughs> Yes, yes. Al- always the hardest thing to do to to bring the car out for the the first time. Um, Ernst, thank you very much. What what do we see next? When will we next see the cars? Uh, when are we likely to see the car out, either testing or competing? Uh, the the new GT3 car. Well, testing will happen uh, depending on the weather forecast for here. If we can go, because Hockenheim is just half an hour down the road, and like I said, a very safe and and, and comfortable track for us. And that was the plan to do the first run outs before we go to, to Spain or to Italy or somewhere where the weather is secure and, 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 and might have those bucks in that you have at the first two, three times on the track uh, that might stop us from, from running when we are far away from the shop. If we are in Hockenheim, we can just go back and, and get what we need or do what we need. And so the plan is to run as soon as possible at Hockenheim, and then we want to make a plan for window testing, uh, either in Spain or in Italy, or if we find the money in America. Wish you all the best in that, um, and I'm sure. I, well, in fact, I know because they've been tweeting uh, and sending us notes on uh, on other social media. The fans absolutely love the car as it is now in the carbon fibre. We uh, expect to see it with some paint on it, unfortunately, but it looks fantastic as it is. So please keep it that way as long as possible, Ernst. Will you? Ernst Ver, thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight and we wish you the best uh, with this uh, GT3 Corvette project. Thank you very much indeed, Ernst. Thank you, John. Thanks. Uh, Brilliant to have you on the programme, Ernst. Uh, Graham Goodwin of dailysportscar.com listening in to that. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, John. Good to uh, have you back as well. Um, First of all, brilliant just to have Ernst on taking some time out of a very busy schedule um start at the beginning of that um you know the the american side of things is the big talking point but we'll come to that in a moment um but the good news is the car is 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 real it's running it's gone through homologation Uh, they're not a big organization perhaps surprisingly with the gm uh, connection and that will be the only uh, Corvette that is GT3 homologated, those are the rules um, but it seems as though that that project is well down the road and is being attacked in a very sensible way 
Yeah, and it looks fantastic. The car looks absolutely great. I mean, you know, Callaway's Ernst was saying there, just an indication of, you know, it's got some history in the sport. It goes back to oh, the yes. 90s and IMSA. And uh, the, the team they've now uh, announced for that first car with uh, Boris Said and Derek Curran. Boris Said, if I'm right, uh, was one of the very first guys to race for Callaway Corvettes. No, I, indeed. I, as, I as mentioned by years Ernst. Ago. Yes, as mentioned by Ernst at, uh, um, at Daytona when they had the GT1 and various other things. Uh, way, out before, there. way before that, John. Way before that. Goes back to, you know, in effect, modified road cars before mm. that fantastic GT1 car. I think he was one of the very first guys to campaign a Callaway Corvette. But yeah, firm part of my kind of introduction to the sport uh the you know what, what did they call them supernatural didn't they those corvettes yes, back in the day that's right the supernatural corvettes and um it's good to have them back with uh, you know a current real world weapon the, those corvettes in the early days of gt3 were things to be reckoned with they've stayed that way in the adec gt masters championship and and now i've little doubt that that car will be on the pace when we when we see it at some point next season mm. The point about the car not going to the States um, is, a, is a tricky one. Patrick Lindsay, among others, uh, tweeted when Ernst mentioned this. Porsche, Ferrari, Dodge, Aston Martin uh, haven't and don't have an issue with two different cars running in, or two of the same type of cars running in two different classes of IMSA competition. Um, with respect, Corvette have two different cars running in same in two classes because Correct. they have a prototype styled after a Chevy Corvette. I think it's simply it's it's somehow at GM the marketing guys have got hold of this one. They've decided that Cadillac is going to be the brand in GT3. Uh, that clearly is going to continue with the Pirelli World Challenge and we know and you can ask Marshall Pruitt about this one as to how things have moved on that it looks likely that they'll be testing the Cadillac for potential IMSA competition as well. Mm. So I sort of get it, but it is a shame, isn't it? It's a shame that really, you know, my guess is that whoever ends up with a Cadillac in IMSA, if anybody, will be somewhat factory-blessed, whether or not that's a Stevenson outfit or somebody else. Um, but it is a shame that you've not really got the opportunity for privateers to opt for a GM product. Particularly given what Ernst was saying there, is that, you know, the probability is they'll be doing some winter testing in the States, yeah. um, you know, for, for weather reasons. Um, that car, as he rightly said, America's sports car, and the only place it won't be able to race is America. Now, I can un like I said in the interview, I understand World Challenge. Why necessarily would you want to offer, um, you know, or muddy the waters with another GM product? That said... The Cadillac is effectively a works car, and these are very much privateers' cars. Nobody is buying uh, Cadillac ATSVs uh, to run anywhere else in the world. The good news is, though, Graham, that it does look as though you know the support network and the business prop uh, proposition, if you like, is in place for those cars. He says possibly 20 of them in three years. Uh, well, I think that's a perfectly sustainable number. I mean, to give you an idea of how that compares, well, we know, don't we, the tiny numbers of uh, Corvette C7R GTE cars, three still, four possibly, with a rebuilt car in the United States. Um, from memory, the uh, three-year total that Bentley have determined is their ceiling is 30. Now, mm. slightly different for Bentley because, of course, they've got a different attitude to their 
uh, GT3 program. They want to make sure that those cars go to, you know, teams that they believe will further not just the performance on track, but also the brand. Whereas with um, with Callaway, it's going to be determined by how many cars they can produce in, in response to demand. But it's it's a goodly total for you know a small manufacturer, which Callaway are. Uh, and the, the car looks great. It presumably has gone through. Well, we know it's gone through it, its it, BOP. It, yeah, it was at, it was at Ladue and it went through the BOP with no problem. So now the car is homologated. It's a question, as Ernst mentioned, of getting it through the season. We know of the interest from Eric Curran uh, and the Whelan sponsorship um, in Europe. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people's ears. Uh, pricked up when they, we talked about this last week. Dave Alcock says, great to have Callaway and Corvette linked again in racing. Remember the sledgehammer. Um, do we think we'll ever uh, see a GT3 Callaway Corvette in the 12 hours of Bathurst? Probably not next year, but possibly in 17. It, it's it's all there if well, somebody is prepared. Been, sorry, Graham? Been, sorry, there have been GT3 Corvettes across an Australia, of course. Yes. And uh, them being GT3 cars, that means they're a Callaway car. Yeah. Um, I I like this idea. Um, I wonder if the whole not in America thing is, uh, whilst this has been done under the auspices of, of GM, I just wonder if they haven't realised what they've they've given up here, Graham, because they can't now produce their own, even if they wanted to. So, you know, the, the option uh, to do that has now gone. Well, we'll wait and see. I think uh, whether or not things change will depend on, I think, a couple of things. Number one is whether or not the car is up to scratch. It looks like it will be. And mm. two is how much the GTD category in its, you know, in its new uh, clothes next year with full GT3 spec cars, how much that takes off. And mm. you've got to ask yourself, why would GM willingly hand over potential customers for their product to other people? Always assuming that they have another product, though. That's the that is the question. Uh, but they appear to have determined that they're at least going to test the waters. Okay. You know, we said before, John, that there are three that, that uniquely General Motors has three uh, mm -hmm. potential products currently homologated: Writer Engineering Serene um, Camaro, the Callaway Corvette, and the uh, and the Cadillac. And mm. it does seem to me strange that it doesn't really appear to be a strategy. Let's whisper that. But it doesn't appear to be a strategy in what is globally by far the most important numerical class in my reporting world. Ernst rather sidestepped, uh, deftly, I have to say, my question about, yeah, but what happens if you sell one to somebody and they apply for an entry to Sebring or Daytona or PLM? Um, although he was good enough to say GM's got a bit of clout over there, I don't think they'd get their entry accepted, which is a very interesting answer. It's a very interesting answer. I mean, I think, as I said to you before, John, the hilarious thing is, is they did. They'd be one of the very few, uh, you know, uh, GTD teams that is not presented with a bill for the marketing side of him. So because, of course, Corvette have already paid. Uh, but it, it's, it's, point. It, it, it's, it's, it's in effect, it's a cheaper thing to enter than anything else, he whispered. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I... I I sadly can't see it happening certainly for 2016 I would like to see that uh, think that somebody sensible there would see the value in actually having that monster over there and you know banging heads with the Audis the Porsches the Mercedes-Benz mm. etc that we expect to see 
Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, is with Nick Damon, myself, John Hindorf, and Tim is up in London. Dave Alcock says, uh, how about, just before we did the Callaway thing, how about a feature, predictive text translations of drivers' names in different series? This was because we had Stiffy Van Door mirrors from uh, Stoffel Van Dorn. Uh, he suggests Maldonado might come out as Massive Crash. Uh, Star Trek. Star, uh, Not sure it does. No, no, but it's quite funny. Uh, Adrian Michael Reese, I mentioned uh, Gutierrez um, not playing for Newcastle United um, or playing for Newcastle United. And Adrian Michael Reese says, as the uh, NUFC uh, person of the collective, he actually said stripey numpty. Um, but if I said that, that would sound like I was I was abusing him, so I won't. Um, he, he says, I must make you aware that uh, Jonas Gutierrez left at the end of their season. Sorry, I don't keep up with things on the wrong side of two rivers. Um, and uh, finally, Chris Suku is home and listening to the show tonight, which is good because, Chris, you've come in just on half time. I'm not quite. We've got about a minute to go before that's ready. Oh, really? Okay. Can we just have it? I'd work myself up to that there. Yeah. Let's bear with me a moment. Shall I talk to the listener or not? Talk to the listener, read some tweets. <laughs> Um, Adam Green uh, listening to our uh, talk with Ernst um, very happy to hear about Callaway coming back uh, he said uh, don't forget um, when things were going together uh, for GTD the GTD Ferrari was slower than the road car uh, and Jason Blake says please accept my apologies I've just heard from VW he's got one of their cars and uh, he's none the wiser uh, and now I'll say hello to Chris Suku who's made it back home uh, just in time for the second half Midweek Motorsport and if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments wait till you hear what's next uh, more of your tweets please to at Specutainment and uh, at Radio Le Bon you're listening to Midweek Motorsport at Series 10 Episode number 440. Uh, coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, Marshall Pruitt will be talking tweaks to calendars, uh, tyre warmers, potential drivers for Ford GTs, and another prototype manufacturer potentially interested in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Nick Damon talks MotoGP, and we'll have Graham Goodwin. Uh, talking more sports cars, including looking forward to the ELMS finale, which comes up this weekend from Estoril in Portugal. Oh, yeah, and we'll have a bit of other sports car news too. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So that is the film theme, of course. Uh, so before we do some more sports car news, Tim must... Well, it's actually the premiere of uh, Steve McQueen, um, the man, the movie, the MG Midget and other things beginning with M, isn't it? It is. That was today Tonight. in London. Tonight, yes. This afternoon. Was it this afternoon, was it? Yes. Okay. So uh, no one can use that as uh, an excuse for not listening live. Okay. Unless they had a very long journey afterwards. Yeah. And uh, no internet in whichever form of transport they're taking. Uh, yeah. So if anyone from the collective uh, has been to see it today, uh, why don't you tell us what you thought? Yeah, that'd be good. 
Uh, I'm going to go and see it on Friday. Are you? Yes. It's at the London Film Festival, isn't Past it? Past the London Film Festival, yes. Yeah. Okay. And a film um, which isn't part of the London Film Festival uh, yep. has its premiere next week. Right. In London, and will go on uh, general release uh, the following week. Right. Uh, and of those. yes, this one has a uh, motorsport theme, though. Oh, go on. Uh, because it is called. And this is where it gets tricky because I can't remember what it's called, and uh, the bit of paper that's written down is over on the far side of the room. So you just this talk to yourself, and I'll well uh, get the uh, press release. Well, that's just amazing, isn't it? It's just going so well. I've seen lots of films recently. I can't think of any I've seen with cars in them. Really. Well, cars driving around, obviously. Got James Bond coming in two weeks, haven't we? That's got Aston Martin. I saw the Paul Hollywood Aston Martin BBC thing, John. Do you remember he was filming a show at Le Mans? Mm-hmm. We did the Aston Martin race. All I can say is that Andy Palmer is a genius. Mm-hmm. He got an hour-long advert on BBC Two. Mm. I heard actually from a few people who watched that that uh, that was actually quite a decent thing. Yeah, it was all right. A lot of these celeb no, no, things it was were a bit fine. rubbish. But it was absolutely fine. But no, it wasn't rubbish. It, it, it was literally an hour's advert for Aston Martin, which si- is fine. In the same way that uh, the last uh, Mission Impossible was a, a one-hour, 19-minute advert for BMW. There was a lot of BMWs. Bikes and cars, though, so it's all right. Uh, and Jurassic World was a Mercedes-Benz Mercedes, advert. Yeah, and, isn't it, isn't, and uh, who was Audi recently? Uh, I can't remember. It's uh, normally all the Marvel ones. Yeah. Are you back, Tim? Completely lost. I him. am, but I can't actually find the uh, right bit of paper. Do you remember vaguely what it was called? Uh, uh, a Sicilian dream, I think. Right. What's it about? The Milli Milia? Uh No, the Tiger Florio. So oh. you're very close. Uh, I meant that. Tim, um, you need and, to lose uh, the bed to us because Graham can't hear anything over the top. Ah, uh, I need to lose it to Graham. Well, and to us, because we can't hear very much either, to be honest. And, uh, in fact, he's, he's run round twice. Yeah, it's, everyone's it's, that's it. much better. <laughs> and it doesn't there mean anything go. to anybody outside the UK, or yeah. anybody who's under the age of under the age of about 35. It's a lovely yes. bit of music, though. Do uh, they still use it for the, 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 the Claudia Winkleman thing? The Claudia Winkleman No, the Claudia Winkleman produced uh, All right, so that so played that music for no reason at all. Let's uh, go through <laughs> uh, some more. So the, the, Graham knows what it's called. Graham. Hello. What's it called? It's called I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free. Is correct. Really? Uh, yes. yes. It's got words. It's a it's jazz tune. It's had policy. It is. It uh, is. Uh, uh, and the director of uh, uh, a, a Sicilian Dream is Alain de Cadenet. Is he really? Yes. Hmm. A great back- He's obviously a, a, a journalist and racer, but he hasn't got a great background in you know, directing films. Uh, Tim, are you watching the, twi- the Twitter, the uh, Skype feed? I am. Right, read what I've just put in from from a listener. Uh, let me go through some tweets uh, for I'm aware you. Of that. Uh, looking like it might not be the best weather at Esther Will. Esther Will. Esther Will this weekend. Will. Says Phil oh, Beck- Beckett. <laughs> uh, so let's t- let's talk about the finale of the ELMS uh, coming up um, uh, this weekend. Title still on the line, Mr. Goodwin. Oh boy, yes. Well, in fact, technically, all the titles are still kind of up for grabs. But the one that I think everybody's talking about is, of course, the the Premier LMP2 class, and that came courtesy John and all uh, of a uh, Stewart's decision post uh, the last race at Le Castellet, uh, which means that we're in the astonishing position where two teams 
uh, with identical machinery, that being a Gibson uh, Nissan, uh, are separated by one point. Better tie myself up. And what about on <laughs> what, what about on count back? Uh, that's who has the ver- advantage on goal difference, as it were. Uh, it'd be Greaves because Greaves have got two wins to uh, Jota Sports one. A battle of so, two great, and I use and I, and I mean this, two great British teams there. Oh yeah. And proof if proof were needed, I think Graham, of how successful the ELMS has been this year with. P2 is the top category. Now, they move up to an extra round next year, which most most series where you talk to people, IMSA, certainly the WEC, I have yet to find anyone who thinks adding a round to either of those two next year, as will happen, is a good idea. Uh, However, no, I mean, that's I, I not could... the case in ELMS, is it? There's quite a few people who think that the added round in ELMS actually is, makes good business sense. Uh, there's a fair few that don't. I'll be oh, honest really? With okay. You. No, there's a fair few that don't. I mean, um, I can tell you this much, John, that uh, I believe that the factory teams, at least, and quite possibly the rest of the teams in the WEC, were consulted about the potential for an additional round and unanimously said they didn't want it. Uh, and that that's that leaves us with lots of different kind of conclusions about the potential motivation here. Uh, but certainly, it's not something that was that, that was uh, uh, that was spoken by the uh, the factory teams to the WEC management in in glowing terms. They're not very happy about the additional round. Uh, and I had from a prominent privateer team uh, over the weekend the estimation that depending on which class you're in. Uh, that you're talking, okay, the freight costs are covered, but there's all sorts of other overheads, including wages for people, logistics for those people, hotel bills, you name it. For that additional round, you are talking a substantial six-figure fee. Really? Yeah. Um, and and they don't think that that uh, can be recouped then? No, not for, certainly not for a privateer team. Uh, there's no marketing bonus for most of those teams in that market and uh, lots of other people offering the opinion that uh, they believe and I have to tell you I agree with this premise that in some short uh, in some certain way that this is linked in to a bit of a warning shot to Cota. Uh, really? In what respect? Well in respect that uh, it wasn't on the table before we got to Cota and right. then all of a sudden it happened. Ah. And we, there was certainly a uh, feeling, uh, whilst we were all in Texas, was there not, those of us that were in Texas, you and I, John, that mm. uh, the, the, the uh, WC management were not very happy with the Circuit of the Americas and their no. efforts. No, indeed. Um, just coming back to the ELMS uh, this Oops. weekend in Estoril, um, so all of the titles are up for grabs, are there, in GT all, as well? All the titles are up for grabs. Just to be clear here, there are three, uh, three teams, rather, that can win in the LMP2 class. Jota Sport at the moment on 76 points, Greaves Motorsport on 75, Tyria by TDS who've come to Estoril with, with the genius idea of bidding their quick quickest driver uh, on 66. <laughs> uh, come on then, a quick quick quiz question, who's fourth in the championship? Uh, uh, I don't know. You're going to be surprised. Uh, uh, surprise me. Crone Racing. 
Oh, yes, of course. They are. They've been consistent through the year, scoring points, scoring points. Uh, LMP3, the title is done, of course. Mm. That went the way of Charlie Robertson, uh, Team LNT, and Chris Hoy. Yeah, uh, last Sir Chris out. Hoy, yes. Sir Chris Hoy, Chris to his mates. Um, and in <laughs> LMGTE, uh, it's an interesting one because whilst the runaway leaders, 19 points ahead of Formula Racing, still just within a shout of three other cars. Proton Competition. Uh, although they need a win and the three cars ahead of them to basically DNF. Uh, the AF Corsa car, and I think that is the Duncan Cameron, Matt yeah. Griffin, Aaron it Scott is. car, uh, which is in more or less the same position, and only slightly better off and really still needing for Formula Racing to uh, to DNF, is the very final race for BMW Team Mark VDS. Yes, with Royal Motorsport having uh, uh, been... Baton, should we say? Yeah. Now that said, though, Royal are not of the same level of Mark VDS. So let's not for, forget uh, we're doing the development work for the uh, M6 uh, GT3, and indeed some of the development work for the car that has now been uh, fired off to the states, the GTLM version of that car. So that's that was that's going to be very interesting. Patrick Lindsay, by the way, reminds us. Um, that GM aren't unique in having three versions of GT3 cars. Uh, VAG have the 911, the R8, and the Huracan. Um, you can add the Gallardo to that, which is still homologated. Actually, that could be four from them. Uh, and the Bentley, of course, you've forgotten there, Patrick. So, actually, you could argue that VAG has got five. For now. <laughs> Just for now. Um, uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Graham Goodwin is with us. Um, right, OK, who do you think is going to take the championship overall? Or is it, is, is it literally roll the dice and, and watch uh, or listen to the coverage at the weekend? Well, the great thing about this, uh, and, you know, is needle to a certain degree is a good thing in sport. I think we all enjoy that edge. There is certainly an edge between elements of the, these two teams. And that means, John, that literally anything could happen. Um, you know, there could be emotion coming into this at some point of this race. Uh, it all started, of course, in these year, this year's terms at least, at the very first round at Silverstone, where there was much contact oh, between yes. uh, various cars. And uh, I think it could go any of the three ways. I can absolutely see potential for the two championship leading cars to be together at the end of this race and at that point anything could happen honestly anything could happen uh, live coverage here on RegioLamont.com uh, with Bruce and Johnny of course I was going to go just to, to watch but um, I am doing um, Renault RS1 for Motors TV uh, at the weekend um, let, let's spin back Graham uh, a, a week or so well less than that now um, to Fuji um, and there was a tweet came in earlier on, which I think is interesting. I'd like to talk about the Asian Le Mans series, if you, mm. uh, if you don't mind. And this tweet uh, came in uh, earlier on about the um, LMP3s. And would you believe it? I can't find it now. Um, basically, the gist of it was, are we seeing the pecking order for LMP3s from what we saw in the racing at the weekend wasn't really a, a full outing for all the teams there but there, there were a, a variety of, of LMP3s there 
Uh, there were three LMP3s there. There's the, it was actually the world debut for both the Adess 03 and kudos, by the way, to Team AAI mm. for getting both cars to the grid when I didn't think that was possible. They had damage to one car in the first race and then damaged a... Um, our brother broke a um, drive shaft. And I think I'm right in saying that uh, the Ligier uh, outfits gave them one of their drive shafts. So if, they, if that's yep. the, the case, then kudos to them. It's also the world debut for the Ligier, which was quick and it was reliable. Uh, the answer... It was James uh, Ryder, by the way, that says if any okay. initial signs of the P3 pecking order could be taken. Well, OK. Uh, thank the, you, James. Yeah. The answer, James, is we don't know yet. The reason we don't know yet is because the Ligier has been out and testing. The Adesse, rather less so, did one um, uh, shakedown test that I'm aware of that did not go the full distance. And those two cars, uh, the first of them, had, I think, four days testing in Japan. The other car, I think that was the 88 car um, in Japan, uh, had actually not turned a wheel before it arrived in the paddock slightly late on Thursday afternoon. So, um, yes, certainly the Ligier had the legs on the Adès this time around, but they were both very, very new cars. There was clearly development to come from both. We've not yet seen a Ginetta against the other two. We're going to get to see the Ginetta against the Ligier this weekend for the first time uh, because Craft Racing uh, should have their... Uh, Ligier JSP3 at Estoril against the usual gaggle of uh, Ginettas. We won't be seeing the uh, Ave Riley this year, although we promised that that should come next year. And I don't think we'll be seeing the fifth and final confirmed uh, LMP3 manufacturer, Dome, until 2017. I caught up with the MD of Dome briefly in the Asian Le Mans series paddock and whilst they're very hopeful indeed about what's coming and not least the fact that uh, and if you didn't catch up with this over the weekend let's tell you now that the uh, the ACO are investigating the potential for a sprint series spring and summer sprint series for CN and LMP3 cars only in Asia that to help expand the market and that's very good news indeed I think for the Asian Le Mans series and it's better news still for both the manufacturers and, for that matter, teams that have LMP3 cars. A lot of people questioning the wisdom of that, Graham, saying, you know, the Asian Le Mans series needs to get on its feet before something like that. But the, the point of this is it's running not in competition because the timing is slightly different. All right, be a, yeah, yeah the, the, I think there's one round they're talking about being... At, at effectively the end of the Asian Le Mans series before it actually is completed. But the rest of it comes after, doesn't it? It does. And the idea is is to extend the kind of monetization of the of the of the cars. And I think the answer here is look, if what you're trying to do is to attract new blood, then you need to give them a business model. A four or even five in the future race Asian Le Mans series may not do that for a prototype car. So sensibly what they're trying to do is to give them other places that they can run. And uh, the second thing it does is it, it helps people. There is already a reasonably well-established GT market in Asia. Mm. Uh, there is not at the moment a particularly well-established prototype market in Asia. And what you're looking to do is to attract people to that market. You can only do that if the cars are there and the racing is there for them to enjoy. So, you know, what you might see, I think, as we're going to see through this season with the Asian Le Mans series, are the numbers being reasonably modest. But they're looking to fill that gap with... Uh, I think two things is advocates within the paddock and the best way to do that 
as any fool knows, with any business, is to give them excellent customer service. And that, John, is what I was hearing in the paddock at Fuji, is uh, more, almost all of the teams, in fact, all the teams I spoke to, and I spoke to all bar one of them uh, this weekend, or last weekend, rather, were praising the efforts that have been made by uh, the ACO's uh, management team that are now looking after the... Uh, the Asia Le Mans series and that I think is a very good start indeed the rest of it I think we need to take a breath we need to take a step away and we need to let this thing decide whether or not it wants to be an ongoing uh, series or not yeah um, before we get on to the WEC itself uh, we'll stay with the regional series um, for a moment and the international endurance series had its finale at Bruno Nick you were there along with uh, Joe and Martin yep. for Radio Le Mans.com, uh, Radio Show Limited, uh, doing our bit for Creventic and for Motors TV. Congratulations, first of all, we should say to Tom Onslow Cole, friend of the programme, yep. confirmed uh, as one of the GT3 champions. Uh, he won the GT Drivers, A6 uh, yeah. Driver Championship well to go with the, uh, <laughs> didn't move the time, uh, to go with the, uh, the, the A6 Championship Ram Racing. Because the nice thing about. Um, Creventic is that any car from any class can win overall. Yes. And the overall uh, teams championship went to um, Team Ogilvy, which was the... Uh, Memak Ogilvy. Mem- Mem- BMW. Yeah, uh, as the new the new band, uh, Phil Quay from the Mutrons, uh, apparently playing uh, both parts of the, uh, the v-, v Festival next year. Um, <laughs> they, they won that through being nowhere on the scores because of dropped scores. They missed one race, and so they came forward and got the most points there, beating the uh, green and very well-known greeny-blue BMW coupe, which uh, Hoffer had been running for years, and yes. ran Dubai for years and years, and that came second, and, and I think either equal second with Ram. The overall driver's champion, mm. the top driver, mm-hmm. a lady, Chantelle Kroll. This is the former um, motorcycle uh, champion, isn't it? She yeah. does uh, endurance motorcycling and uh, off-road raid sort of stuff. Yeah, she's, she's also from the Hoffa team. She, 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 the reason she won, it's A, she's very quick, um, but B, she split her driving time between that green and blue uh, BMW from Hoffa and also one, and they also they're sort of a slur of their two Mercedes mm. SLSs. Now, the only reason, the reason that meant, it meant that she had sometimes when the car, one of the cars did slightly badly, the other car did well. She said she was able to aggregate good scores. Um, ah, not nothing. I'm not taking anything away from her because she, you know, there were a couple. Of, she put it in the results. She, she she did the times, but that was the the tactic that enabled her to just get those extra couple of points over a, a very close chasing pack of drivers uh, from all the classes. But yeah, so Shanta Kroll, unsurprisingly, she also won the ladies' trophy as well. Uh, but so Shanta Kroll um, comes at the, the I would think the first female winner of an international driving championship for quite some time. some time or ever yeah and it sorry i'm confusing her with she's swiss or hop swiss i um i'm confusing her with the spanish lady who was driving in the 24 Chantel um has raced for hofer racing for quite some time uh, and indeed um came fourth in the 24 hours of the nurburgring in 2013 uh, and you raced there in 12 as well, so apologies. Um, I that that was me being slightly jet lagged, um, but I knew that uh, she'd been around. She, she's had a couple of decent seasons and been with Hofer, yeah. Hofer for a uh, for a wee while. Decent race. Yep. Uh, 12 hours uh, straight through. Yes. Which you're not used to, are you? A bit chilly. Uh, it was fi- no, actually, not the three and nine. The or three the and four nine, and the four and eight. No. Not, not three. Park up, have dinner, go sleep, come back. We're much better. 
Um, no, it was a very good race. Everyone once the, 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 once it wasn't foggy, as it was in the morning of the first day, and it had dried out. Everyone really liked Bruno. But the one thing they did say, and it's, it's it's very hard to explain as you weren't there, it's very dark. And you're thinking, well, it's night, Nick. It's always dark. No, it's super dark. There is no uh, light pollution at all from anywhere. So you go into the and they, you go into the tree line side, and, and it, yeah, the professional race judge comes and say, this is dark, dark. This is really dark. Yes. Because there wasn't much light from the pits lane. The pit complex wasn't particularly, was, was lit enough to do pit stops, but it wasn't bleeding out of the track. And it was absolutely pitch. And what seemed to happen was, suddenly everyone got very sensible. Because, it, <laughs> because in a 12-hour race, um, on a track they had no real practice on, because we had two code 60s for a grand total of oh, about 30 minutes or 25 minutes, and neither were caused by contact. They both caused by a car just going off and having rescued from, from a difficult position. And everyone behaved themselves, and uh, yeah, it, it, it seemed like a bit of chilly weather, and they couldn't see what they were doing it. Just instantly sensible drivers. Controversy uh, in that the local team, Scuderia Praha, winning mm. their home race. Uh, no tyre warmers. Are, we'll, we'll have no. a tyre warmer story coming up in a wee while. Um, no tyre warmers allowed in Creventing no. racing in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. No ovens out the back or nothing, though. No. Uh, warming cabinets or anything like that. But there were pictures going round the web that would suggest that at some stage um, that might not have been the case in the back of their garage. Now, you were wandering around the back of their yes, garage, was, in and out, because is your want. I had to yank out drivers after they finished their round. and they, they had, What they had was they had, the back of the garage was... Uh, um, was it, it was yeah, it was a closed off back of the garage and the door shut, and they were had a, had a space heater in there with a kind of a uh, was a poly tunnel tube to blow the air. And what they were originally were doing, they were just warming up the area where people were sitting and watching the telly at the back. Because it was, I keep saying, I, I keep saying, it was really cold. Um, so for us, and not very hard. You were only saying drivers. that because you were out in it, Nick. Yes, just for the, just for the entire time. It's um, so only a short you know, race, though. Just the 12. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but so what they end up doing is someone took a picture. And I never saw this happening. Whenever I saw it, the polytunnel was warming up um, people people and food. And that's not food with the air. But then someone took a, a picture on, uh, and posted onto Twitter of them. And they had repositioned that warming tunnel to blow against a stack of tyres. Mm. Um, which would obviously warm the bottom one. Um, but you know, debatable how much it would give them. But we did meet uh, we, Gary Williams, the uh, organizer of the Creventic series. He bumped into it at the airport, and they did get a 15-second time penalty for that. Did they? Um, which added to their time, but as they won by a lap, it didn't make any difference. But um, I don't think they got it. They, they, it was it was almost the sort of thing where you sat there going, yeah, but it's quite clever, and they're not really gaining much from it. But um, they 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 they'd certainly changed their motors operandi had Scuderia Praha. Mm. Uh, they dropped one of the gentleman drivers completely out of the rotation and, and used it with one section only. So they, but they, they won it. It was a home race, and um, Peter Cox and uh, so Malucelli were very, very good. Matteo Malucelli, uh, that's the name to conjure with. Uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, and the we are just waiting the finalisation of the Cravantic calendar rather for next year. You know a number most of you, of it. yeah, there needs a bit of tweaking to it. Um, apparently, so we're we're awaiting uh, one or two tweaks. A couple of people already asking whether we'll be covering Silverstone, the uh, touring car, 24 hours uh, there, including rotation up north. Hello, rotation. 
I don't suppose you know yet if you're covering Creventic at Silverstone next year. It is the plan. Um, although, how much I'll be doing, I'm not sure, because I'm desperate and determined. Uh, I've got one race. Oh, you've not got a drive. I've, I have been offered a got drive. Got a drive. Yeah. Mm. What in? Uh, say at Leon Cooper that's Sport. Your, that's what you want to be in. Mm-hmm. Those are... Mm-hmm. Is Bradley running it? Because Bradley loves those things. Mm. He, was, he was waxing about them the whole time, how marvellous they were. Yes. Well, Unless, got, of I, course, I, they uh, changed the uh, balance performance to... Uh, no, it was how tough they were, not for any other reason. They just keep going. It was, the, yeah, it was the keeping going thing rather than any particular speed. And there's an endurance else. kit for them now. Seat Sport do an endurance mm-hmm. kit that includes a heated windscreen, a bigger fuel tank, jacks, the whole thing. So We've got a... Um, Pointless press release the week about Sayat. Did you know that? Well, well, we can keep that till later on. Okay. Um, let me get me contract signed before we upset them. Um, <laughs> controversy abounded. Uh, the uh, one thing before you move away, the, on. the only one that really needs tweaking probably is Magello, which clashes with the Sebring 12 hours. Uh, yes. There, there's a couple of other bits and pieces. Can um, I also just go back to... Um, uh, uh, earlier film news because uh, uh-huh. Paul West has posted the trailer to a Sicilian Dream uh, TV collective so thank Effective. you Paul West well, well done he obviously knew what it was called well yes <laughs> well he found out in the end which was very good um, uh, controversy abounded the uh, at the six hours of Fuji Graham um you and I were both quite vociferous about the bumping and boring in, in LMP2 at the, the end of the race on on the broadcast. Um, I'm going to leave that to one side because I don't think that um, it does the sport any good to drag it up, if I'm honest. And what I'd much rather do is celebrate all the good things um, in that race, which were legion compared to um, some of the bad things that unfortunately have been getting flagged up i deliberately posted uh, not the crash videos but the racing videos earlier this week um when i was sitting in various airports and, and retweeted them the, the the fact of the matter is graham that we had once again um albeit um 39 minutes behind the safety car at the start which i i don't think anybody could really argue with we may have been able to have got racing a little bit earlier but not very much Marcel Fesler and Andrea Lotterer wanted to go. Fesler was in the car and he wanted to go early. I think he knew the advantage that, that Audi had. But what we had, particularly in the first half of the race, at the head of the field, and we'll come to the other classes uh, later, was just an extraordinarily well-balanced, well-paced, well-run and well-competed race. Well, uh, I mean, the, the, the whole thing was, was a spectacle of the highest order. It was. It was back to, you know, where we started the season again, wasn't yes. it? So that glorious time when uh, the weather actually was an equaliser. And I don't mean Edward Woodward. Hey! And it also got uh, Toto very briefly into the mix as well. So it just goes to show the margins are really pretty small. So <sighs> we'll see. Um, I think Audi were closer. Uh, it was interesting to see again, John, that uh, the Audi uh, on pace was again the quicker car. Uh, it was mm. the Audis that actually set the ultimate lap record mm-hmm. uh, by the end of uh, end ben of play. Ben stint when they were on the right tyres was brilliant. They they've rather blew it by rolling the dice. But as I said to you at the time, and indeed said to the Audi guys afterwards, and indeed they said it in the press conference, which is available uh, online by the way. Andre Lotterer uh, made the call. 
to go from the super soft slick to mediates uh, to full dry slick slick tyres. Yeah. Um, it was which was wrong. wrong. It was yeah. wrong. But the idea was that they felt they had to do something different. Now Paul Truswell's done the sums, and I'm indebted to his blog and for him pointing me towards it before the show tonight, that says that Audi lost uh, in those seven laps plus the extra pit stop uh, to change the tyres back. Two minutes and 16 seconds for, yep. the number seven to, for the number seven car. And the margin of victory for the Porsche number 17, which was ailing, let's not forget, had some kind of quote-unquote torque issues, um, but not full Juliet 6 mode, clearly. Um, was 2 minutes and 16 seconds. Um, so it would have been closer with the track drying out to the end and with Trelleway on the tear, unless well, it, Porsche weren't really pushing as hard as they could do. Well, the interesting thing is, if it was as close as that, whether or not it was actually 2 minutes 16 seconds in real time, it, what it may not have done is given Porsche the opportunity to shuffle the pack. Now, there's a lot been said about team orders. On, on this occasion, the world champion, I couldn't give a stuff, I'll be honest with you. Mm. I think if it was me sitting in the Porsche garage, I'd done exactly the same thing and the Not same great. with Audi. Uh, so I'm going to put that to one side as being, I think, in this instance, a complete irrelevance. Uh, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Uh, but you know, certainly I think Audi took a step. Uh, it was a different aero package, front and rear. And, and thanks again, by the way, to Audi for allowing oh. yourself and myself, John, some access to help us to understand some of the variables that would be around stuff. that. Absolutely. And Alan right. McNish was the instigator of that. Yeah. Um, so Alan um, put that idea forward, and thanks to the Audi Sport uh, team management, including the man right uh, at the very top, Wolfgang Ulrich, and of course Chris Renke, who was the the chap who had to sit down and, and go through his notes uh, for us. That you know that was brilliant. Uh, uh, a couple of people seeing uh, some of the best racing we've seen. Um, it reminded us of Spa qualifying last year when a race broke out. Yes, it did. Silverstone at the start of the year has been, been mentioned. Um, uh, the early part of P2, or the second half of the, the P1 race fizzled just a little bit, but it was still, I think, interesting enough. Porsche oh, yeah. still not got 100% reliability, clearly. And Neil... Uh, Johnny at the end of the race absolutely admitting the team orders were in play and I, again I don't have an issue with that either um, first part of the LMP2 race um, in fact most of the LMP2 race was brilliant, Nick Tandy uh, it took them what um, three hours and ten minutes I think to yep. find the acetone to dissolve the superglue on Nick's bottom <laughs> to get him out of out of the car um, and a, a fabulous contest. On the same set of tyres? Do I remember um, correctly? Uh, I think that's right. Oh, no, yes. it's enough, but it, it was the other car, 26. The, the 26 car. car did 600, nearly 660 kilometres on the yep. same set of tyres. Sam Bird putting in I think a correct now an unfortunate because what happened next, but I think Sam Bird's drive was career-defining. I put it that highly, Graham. He was uh, on intermediates, which are f- uh, effectively the Dunlops are hand-cut slicks, when he shouldn't have been. He kept the car on the island and better. Then they left him on for Julian Canal and how he has come on under Sam's tutelage as well for 660 kilometres on a single set of Dunlops. Absolutely right. We'll come in a moment to another team that did something remarkably similar. Uh, you know, being in an airport lounge is a great thing because you catch up with all sorts of people yes, and get all right. sorts of... But, um, yeah, a great run from them. Great run before we forget it, by the way, 
to two of the teams with open cars. In fact, three mm -hmm. of the teams with open cars. Stracker went well in the appalling conditions, but better still than that. Signitech uh, Alpine setting up their season best result for a second overall in the class. And also to Sarbarand. And uh, mm. commiserations to Ollie Webb, who I thought had one of the runs of the Agreed. race. Agreed. And actually was caught out by trying to do the right thing and trying to get the car... Uh, after having run straight on at the first term, which I think two-thirds of the field did at some point <laughs> with tricky conditions, that Ollie caught himself out by not just having quite enough lock and put the, the team out of contention for a, um, a podium place. But it shouldn't get in the way the fact that in the worst of the weather, he was excellent. Agreed, uh, agreed. In GT, mate, I've got to mention the return to form of Tony Vlander in particular, who did the lion's share of the work, handing over to Jimmy Bruni, who had to soft pedal that car home because yep. he couldn't afford another pit stop. Another good run from both of the Porsches. I thought Pelé was good again. Yep. But... And Vlander on uh, one set of tyres. On one set of tyres, absolutely. They, 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 that's how, John, they did it. They did it by... Um, not changing tyres, saving time in the pit stops whilst the 71 car were changing drivers and uh, tyres at each pit stop. And that's how they got the edge. I don't think we quite got our heads around that at the time because we were too busy screaming at LMP1s at that stage. But that's how the 51 car got the edge. And boy, yes. were they happy with that afterwards. And that puts no. them back in the championship fight. Uh, the other, what Paul would say was race-defining or hero stints, as Paul Truswell would say, if we had been at Le Mans, Marco Seyfried. That is not at all to underestimate what Patrick Long and Pat Dempsey did. Patrick yep. Dempsey did. Um, they changed early to get Pat D Patrick Dempsey into the car, behind the safety car, to burn some of his time. He did have a spin, but at, at the time when conditions were worse, he was less than two-tenths off the pace of people like Manu Collard, who he was, he was well. around. He did a really, really good job. He said it was hard. He enjoyed the rain. Have we got a rainmeister coming in in Patrick Dempsey? Marco Seyfried hasn't had the best of seasons, maybe did need that drive, but that drive in the middle of the race, they were slightly off-kilter with everyone else, um, which helped, but he was seventh I think in the category back to the lead albeit as I say helped by a slightly uh, wacky pit strategy because of what they'd done to get their arm driver in but Marco Seyfried did put a blinking brilliant uh, set of stints in for what I think is probably the right time of the season for him because there's been a few too many times this year I've looked at the screen and seen him pointing in the right direction uh, the wrong direction uh, yeah, and I think that's probably right. I mean, I think Marco Seyfried has struggled for whatever reason to get his head around that package. But in those conditions, he was utterly supreme. It was, you're quite right, John, and it's great to recognise this, isn't it, um, about a, a team in what would be regarded by most people as the fourth class, uh, that that was one of the, the um, stints of the race. Also prevented, by the way, the first title uh, being awarded because in a... Uh, race where they didn't have the best of runs, uh, had we seen a win from SME Racing, they'd have taken the title mm. at Fuji, and they can do so again uh, next time around. But um, it was indeed uh, Dempsey Proton Racing, uh, noted by uh, our friend and colleague John De Geese that uh, this is the first time we've seen American drivers on the top step of the podium yeah. in the World Endurance Championship. Um, you know, so it's for all sorts of reasons, I thought a pretty feel good time there. You don't want to comment on an MP2 at the end, John. I'm going to say just this. 
it's a great example. You and I were both screaming into the mics, and with good reason. No matter what the stewards decide, I hope it's a conclusive decision. Based mm. on the data, no knee-jerk reactions required, and whoever was at fault there, I want to see some punishment doled out. That was unacceptable. Well, I, I've got I've got as big issues with the stewarding as I have with the driving, and I have a massive issue with the stewards making a decision that was so far-reaching um, as they did at the end of the race without having uh, looked at and considered all the data, including the most important data and the most accurate data, that from the cars. Uh, and I think that is, if not an epic fail, certainly a fail on the part of the stewards. And I think well, that John, needs to John, be looked into so, as well. Let's say this much. is I hope the farce that we were left with on the evening, and it was a farce, we didn't get a final decision that was going to come from the evening, if you see what I mean. We still have got a final decision. We'll see here that at Shanghai. Um, that I hope they've learned the lesson that mm. actually it's better to be right than fast. Well, Graham, I, I have no problem. They decided early on on that that it was going to be a post-race contemplation. Once that was decided, the imperative to make a... Uh, the, the imperative to make a quick decision was gone. And then for them to do what they did, I, I think was ill-advised at the at the very least. But I, I, I wait in joyful hope for the coming of the... Uh, the decision and we'll see where we get to I'll be honest with you I won't change my view of what happened because I think any right seeing person who's been anywhere near a racetrack can see what happened and um, I think anyone who's ever taken part in a motor race could see what happened whether it was a arrive and drive at a karting centre or something in world championship forms um, but I, I also don't think that the right decision will be come to because I, I think the stewards hands would be bound in terms of what action they can take by the rule book, um, and unfortunately, I don't think the championship standings will be reset to where they should be at the end of it. But that we can only wait till Shanghai and have a rant about it there. Uh, Grim, I'm going to cut you loose. Uh, have well, a great weekend. Uh, absolutely, Will. Nice to get uh, well. Not a weekend off this weekend. It's uh, Estoril for me, and then back with you in Shanghai in two weeks' time, John. <sighs> Barely time to get the washing done. Graham Goodwin, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, uh, who was joining us from Supreme uh, Headquarters Endurance Director of the Shed uh, this evening. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, 20 minutes of the show to come. We'll have Marshall Pruitt, editor of uh, uh, sorry, of Racer.com in just a moment. But first of all, this from Tim. Uh, I was going to build this as more fast news, but actually it's more of a tragedy. Really? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but it stays with the sports car theme. Right. Uh, although on a much smaller level, because uh, we're going to talk about the Jeunesse Junior Championship. Right. Well, smaller level in every... Uh, literally smaller a smaller people. level. Smaller people, smaller, smaller people, cars. Smaller cars. Yeah, smaller uh, displacement. Yes. Uh, the uh, championship went to the final round, which was held at Brands Hatch on mm-hmm. Sunday. Uh the two drivers who have uh, between them uh, dominated the series are Jamie Caroline, uh, mm-hmm. son, son of Lee Caroline, ba-ba, and ba-ba. you shut him up. No, no, Senna you... Oh, he's gone. What a shame. Uh-huh. Uh, who is the son of Mark Proctor? They're, they're both oval drivers, aren't they? Lee Caroline and Mark Proctor. What did they call him? Proctor, what was his first Senna. name? Senna. As a first name? Yes. S-E-N-N-A. Mm-hmm. Do you think he? Do you know, obviously, he could never be a, dr- a drag driver, could he? A drag racer. 
They'll be sent out at the pod. I am fading him down now. Sorry. That's what happens when you leave him on air at the weekend for 12 hours. He becomes puntastic. <laughs> I haven't yeah. listened to that 12-hour race. I'm not sure I want to. Yes, you do. It's very funny. Is it? Yeah. Intentionally so. We, 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 it's a lively team. I, I, it was, the great thing for me was going on to a team where I was the youngest of all of them. Right, move on. Come on, we've run out of time. I've got anyway, uh, Jamie Caroline only had to uh, finish... Uh, ninth in the final race to win the championship or mm. something like that um, uh, no he didn't he needs to finish 17th in the final race to win the championship uh, but he actually couldn't manage that uh, due to various incidents including being given a drive through penalty for jumping the start oh, right. so uh, Santa Proctor won the title by a point well done Mark will be very pleased he was very happy, yes. Johnny Third Palmer generation was talking motor to him. racing yes. driver. Johnny Palmer was talking to him after the race. He was a very proud and happy father. Until... Do you, do you know who... Hang on. Do you know who his grandfather was and what he raced? Uh, Vettel Proctor. No. Is he Hamilton Proctor? Mark Proctor's dad, Mark Proctor's I believe. dad, yes. Was Tony Proctor. Was t- is Tony Proctor. He's, He's still Tony Proctor. Ex- excellent. Who, among other things, raced a ridiculously large engine Ford Capri and rallycrossing Croft in the 1980s. Yes, they are uh, big fans of... Well, I'm not sure Mark's such a big fan of Croft because his career was ended by a massive crash at Croft. Uh, about that was one of my favourite... years ago. Uh, I think it was a BDG-engined um, Capri or something like that. It was absolutely bonkers and brilliant. Anyway, carry yes, on. you're absolutely right. It's Tony Potts, who his uh, Senna's grandfather. Uh, so... Uh, Senna wins the title by a point uh, right up until the stewards get involved. Oh. Uh, apparently the driver who finished fourth yes. mm-hmm. uh, did something bad and was given a 30-second time penalty. Which took him... Which took him down to 19. Ah, promoting? Promoting ja- Jamie Caroline uh, yep. to uh, 18th. Uh-huh. Uh so he got another point, and they finished level on points. Jamie Caroline won the title on countback. Mm. Uh, speaking of Proctors, Kevin Proctor won the last round of the British Rally Cross at the weekend at Croft. Is that brother of? Probably. I don't know if he is related, but he may well, well be Mark's brother. Right. Can I just say well done to the stewards of the uh, BTCC meeting for actually having the the um, chutzpah yep. to uh, change all? a result which the FIA didn't do in 2007 when two teams cheated and should have been excluded and Lewis Hamilton should be the world champion and not Kimi Raikkonen. Ah, uh, yes. The fuel-cooling incident brushed under the carpet because it would have been too confusing to have a, to change the world championship result. Or, more importantly, too confusing not to let Ferrari win it in the year in which McLaren was supposed to be banned forever and, and fined $100 million. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's nearly quarter to ten here in the UK. Let's uh, Can head we congratulate to... a collective member? Uh, only if you've got MP up already. Not yet. Right, can you do that? I'll get that uh, As you speaking. done. And uh, you congratulate a uh, collective member. Uh, I'll congratulate a collective member for winning what at the weekend? Uh, for winning the Asian Formula Renault Championship. Ah, yes. Now, this is a KCMG victory as it well, is, is it not? It is. This is uh, Dan Wells. Dan Wells, um, who... Originally it, from Salisbury, now from Hong Kong. Yes, I see an awful lot about I must be friends with him on Facebook, and I need his life. 
<laughs> he's, he's doing very nicely uh, indeed. Congratulations for uh, winning that uh, championship, Dan, and uh, keep posting on the collective. Right, we need to rattle through some American news with uh, Marshall Pruitt. I'm still waiting to be able to All connect right. to Marshall, so I'll give you a little bit of American news that uh, he's unlikely to care about. Okay. Uh, and that's new NASCAR rules <laughs> for next year, okay. uh, which have been announced today. Uh, they include a mandatory button on the dashboard to set off the fire suppression system. Nice. Uh, previously, uh, the fire suppression system was uh, activated by sensors. Now there's a button you can press in case your sensors don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also changed uh, some bits of the car, uh, including a new three and a half inch spoiler, a quarter of an inch front leading splitter edge, and a thirty-three inch radiator pan. Yes, for low downforce tasticness. Uh, each track will have its own rules. Uh, as uh, is currently the case. Um, and uh, the other thing they're making mandatory is digital dashboards. Okay. okay. As they effortlessly try to get to get into this century. Yeah, well, last century. Uh, so you are listening to Midweek Motorsport, coming towards the end of the show. Got a lot to uh, squeeze in. Have we got Marshall yet? I believe we have. Uh, we've got Marshall Pruitt. Marshall Pruitt, can you hear us? I can hear Hey, good energy. Still straight in. Uh, I know that you've been busy, and apologies for not giving you a huge amount of time. So let's rattle through one or two things. We talked about tyre warmers uh, at the weekend. Tyres have been a, uh, a topic of conversation in the US uh, in, uh, in a couple of contexts, actually, with IMSA particularly, MP. Yeah, it looks like, at least from what I have heard from points of input that uh, tire warmers are it's very likely we will see them pressed into service next year uh, something that would certainly help uh, pro-am drivers on cold tires uh, late at night just cold tires in general even help the pros we have saw some of the pros at uh, Petit Le Mans find uh, trouble on their outlaps and uh, have also heard that there's a uh, pretty serious discussion going on about whether upgrading to a uh, more water-conducting rain tire um, would be possible for next year. So I would say I'm more confident on the tire warmers happening than the rain, a newish rain tire design. Uh, but nonetheless, just good to hear that both are points of interest within the series. You'd rather hear that than them just doing nothing. No, absolutely uh, agree with that. Um, we've been trying to track down um, what Bentley are going to do. and They keep talking about LMP2, maybe not now with the VAG brands having to drag their collective horns in, including in motorsport. But the rumours about uh, LMP2 or DPI, as uh, we'll be calling it uh, in a couple of years' time, uh, continue to... Uh, to rule on MP and a couple of things this week first of all it seems that HPD might not be out of things at least with a current car because uh, the car that ESM started the season with is is not dead it's risen like a phoenix from the frame yeah I've been told they're just a few percent away uh, HPD is just a few percent away from completing a deal uh, to see that car running next season in the hands of a privateer uh, compared to a factory-run effort, or what we would maybe say a an expected uh, mm. 
program with an, an existing factory alliance, maybe an Andretti Autosport or someone else that uh, flies the Honda flag, have heard and have it on fairly good authority that uh, our my Californian friends at PR1 Matheson Motorsports, uh, just good a couple chain. hours away from HPD actually, uh, would be the ones to do that, and uh, provided it does happen, I know that that would be something where, again, it would be a privately run car, but mm. uh, you could definitely count on a, a fair amount of, of brain power going into that effort from our friends at HPD. So sounds like that's going to happen, Heidi. Not ready for an announcement yet, but at, at least in my head, looking at car counts for next year in IMSA's prototype category, I do have at least one uh, HPD ARX 04B on the grid. Natalie uh, titled uh, gotta say PR1 guys have worked really hard they are a solid solid team and I would love to see them uh, in the big show at the sharp end of the field I think they could shake things up with the uh, um, with how things are going with the established partnerships if that car is uh, is anywhere near uh, competitive uh, and the, the other story that uh, you have in fact just posted up over on uh, uh, racer.com is about BMW now the issue the thing that everybody's interested about this MP is that the, the new regulations um, means that GT3 engines are going to be allowed as power plants in the IMSA version of the brave new world of global LMP2 is that what's brought these guys on board you've been speaking to Jens Markart haven't you yeah, I think that is definitely what piqued their interest. And as we wrote about uh, months ago, looking at what the 2017 rules could be before a lot of these things were formalized, uh, we had uh, learned that GT3 engines were something that definitely uh, had become a point of interest. Uh, I'd heard that Jim France himself was one who thought it was a pretty good uh, approach for the series to follow. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of interest. Again, we haven't had big confirmations yet from a BMW or elsewise, but knowing that you can take the motor out of something and drop it into mm -hmm. another compared to have to develop something from scratch, I think that's huge. I th again, I don't know how big the reaction is going to be in 2017, Heidi, but I think once manufacturers do get a fairly good view of what the seer, what it can be, uh, I would expect 2018 to be hopefully fairly ridiculous in terms of manufacturers coming on board. It's a great idea. Uh, and uh, we should start a new feature for this. Which drivers aren't going to be driving a Ford GT in 2016? I won't be. Yeah, me neither. Uh, however, there are some names that we, well, a lot of people might have thought, would have been involved. One in particular, who we found out pretty certainly won't be now. Yeah, good old not my brother, not my brother Scott Pruitt. Uh, I mean, frankly, I'd heard about this quite a while ago, but we're able to actually talk about it a little bit on the record at Petite, and then again earlier this week, where uh, he confirmed and reconfirmed his big emphasis is to go after the record for the number of uh, wins at Daytona, the Rolex 24. Uh, this is Hurley Hayward's uh, yeah. record that he shares at the moment, isn't it? with yes at five and he wants to go for six uh overall wins is what he's after and so his he's informed the ganassi team that uh, that is what he is going to do and he hopes to do it with them uh but i've also heard from a few other team owners in the paddock that uh, they've either reached out to pruitt as a possible uh endurance driver if you want to call him that for the rolex 24 and pruitt's also reached out to them so one way or the other 
Barring some sort of strange reversal of plans, we are not expecting to see Scott Pruitt, who was a big, who was a catalyst in uh, Ford coming back to GT racing. We're actually not expecting to see him in a Ford GT at the uh, car's competition debut. Does that really amount for the rest of the season as well? I'll be honest, um, it's not my announcement to make, so I'm not going to say it, but at PLM, I pretty much was steered in the right direction. I think everybody had guessed at least uh, a couple, possibly three, uh, and and I had a fourth name added to that um, that was interesting and a possible that was added to that that was very interesting. Um does that mean that Scott Pruitt won't be part of that driving squad for the whole season then? I can't say, and I don't know if uh, he knows 100%. Uh, one of the things that I didn't put a whole lot of effort into in print, uh, just because it didn't warrant it, but uh, they've been going back and forth on what role he might play, could play, will play. I don't know if all that has been formally presented in a document that says these are the exact things that are being offered. So mm. uh, if he continues to be a part of the family, I would love to see that. Uh, he obviously tested the car last week at Daytona, so if there were no plans for him to be involved at all, you would not have expected to see that happen. But uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, could we see him in a car at Le Mans? Uh, who know? Again, who knows, Heidi? I know that at least when I, like you, when I'm doing my full season accounting on the full-time drives and the endurance drives, at least at the moment, uh, I don't have Scott Pruitt penciled in uh, in either role. But at least for me, as a old fan of his, uh, uh, I would hope to see him in a car in one of the GT somewhere, just because it'd be really cool. Be very good for him though to get the sixth uh, victory at the Rolex 24. Uh, and finally, a, a little bit of tidying up on the IndyCar schedule for 2016 MP. Yeah, I've had a lot of things bouncing around, Hindy. Uh, dates uh, or events on and off, and otherwise it looked like Pocono is going to be off the calendar altogether. And if that was the case, uh, as long as that was the case, there's been a, f a couple weeks now where myself and my colleague Robin Miller have been laughing trying to plan our August vacation next year. Because until Pocono, until Robin just confirmed Pocono was coming back uh, last night, IndyCar had no races planned for next uh, August, I should say. Um, next August was completely blank. Uh, so it now appears that we will indeed have Pocono to play in August. In August, good Lord, having trouble with my months. Well, uh, we will have one race in August in IndyCar. So, so much for the idea of going on a month-long uh, uh, <laughs> vacation or otherwise. But we have seen a few other things get penciled in. We know, at least at present... Uh, anybody from the IndyCar side that would want to compete at Le Mans, the weekend of Le Mans is open. Uh, we know that the uh, Texas Oval Race, which runs Saturday night and kind of has been the case ahead of Le Mans for the past few years, that will be in place. So can't exactly say how things will shape up in terms of getting to the official test and uh, if indeed there are... Uh, any adjustments there on any conflicts there but uh yeah i can also tell you that i feel that at least one inquiry from an indycar driver asking about dates uh indycar dates because he might have a reason to go to le mans next year for the first time so we'll say uh, mp for short and sweet thank you very much indeed for coming on we'll speak to you again next week marshall pruitt from racer.com thank you very much 
Uh, and a couple of quick things from Nick before we go to the pointless press release of the week. First of all, yes. MotoGP, yes. do it very quickly. Uh, bit, of, bit, bit of a snooze fest. No, it wasn't at all. How is it a snooze? I, 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 right. So how is it a snooze fest? And you have a time. Oh. Well, actually, all right. Uh, Lorenzo goes off. Into the distance. And we all think he's going to win. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a damp to drying race yes. that never gets fully dry. No. Burns his front tyre. Rossi's, Rossi's about three seconds back, and Pedroza, who you know I have no time for, perhaps I was six seconds further back from that, and Marquez was hanging around going, I can't win, I don't care. Anyway, so the oh, right, Lorenzo's going to win this, he's going to get within five, within mm. nine, eight points of, of Rossi with three races to go, it's all Lorenzo's championship. Great Lorenzo, start from Lorenzo. Rossi, but feared And then suddenly, Pedroza starts getting quicker and quicker and quicker, and the, the Yamaha's getting a bit slower, and Pedroza in the Honda go past Rossi, they oh no, now he's got even more points to catch up. No, 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 because then all the, t- the front tyres, Yamaha's like, oh, Pedroza goes past Lorenzo and disappears distance. And then Lorenzo's front tire goes right off and then Rossi gets past him. So Rossi actually gets a points gain and he's now 18 up with three races to go. So if he follows Lorenzo home with no drop lines between in between, them. he will win the World Championship. Even if Lorenzo's first and he's second. Every single time, yes. Um, was, that, was that enough for you? Yeah. And it, was, it was actually quite an exciting race um, because it, of that. Ever, right, the first, the first 12 laps were a bit dull. Yes, correct. And the second 12 laps or 30 were very good. Yeah. Um, thing that I was going to mention to Graham, but we ran out of time with Graham very quickly because you know this world. Uh, Gerard Navarre, the man yep. at the head of LMEM, mm-hmm. the... Uh, the uh, people who run the FIA World Endurance Championship uh, being very vociferous uh, about the Formula One calendar and particularly the clash with Le Mans. But I think there's about four or five clashes. We've mentioned this in Calendar Corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, says that this is an attack on the series uh, by Formula One. This is not an FIA thing. Everybody's saying, why haven't the FIA done something? This is the FIA. If we didn't have, if I hadn't been involved with the FIA, it's nothing to do with the FIA. The, the dates are set by form, which means they are set by Bernie Eccleston. And one thing that Mr. Navo said was, he doesn't do anything by accident. Bernie. I think what Gerard is saying publicly is what everyone's thinking whether it's an attack on Le Mans or two fingers up the FIA that's debatable I don't think that Bernie's that bothered let's put this on the table it will make not a jot of difference to the 250,000 people who turn up at the circuit at Le Mans it will make little or no difference to the television viewer going to back who either yeah, exactly. It will make little or no difference to the television figures of either event because they're not going to overlap with the finish uh, of Le Mans. So that probably means that Le Mans start will get changed. Hopefully, please push it forward um, so we can get finished earlier. Um, but um, it, it does stop drivers doing yeah. the crossover. And in, as, as we said, we noticed straight away that means uh, Nico Hulkenberg can't defend the race I think it, it um, stops Nico Hulkenberg defending his championship. It stops the spectre of um, Alonso doing, a, doing the race as well next year, which is possible. Um, personally, if the people who are... Bernie person, doesn't do anything by accident. No, Nonchalantly, per- actually, person, was the quote. The personal people I'd be most annoyed of, if I was him, is the organised Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku are going to lose... A li- for normally new races get lots of focus, they're going to get very little focus because... All the builds up will be in the mom. Half the motorsport uh, world is looking elsewhere. Um, and it's just, all you've point. got is the circus and the bubble going to a new place, which everyone's a little bit suspicious about anyway. So their chance of making a lovely fresh splash is kind of ruined by the fact that everyone's going, eh, not really interested, to be honest. 
We tried to get Gerard Navo on the uh, telephone tonight, but he is still travelling. Uh, very quick, pointless press release, Tim, or not? Oh, before that, I've got some uh, quick uh, good news for people who like books. Uh, there's m- lots of them in libraries. Uh, Michael Crumb's uh, Driving on the Edge is back in print. Uh, and it's uh, revised and good slightly news as well. for people who don't like books as well. It's mm. audio. Which is uh, Michael Crumb's iconic Driving on the Edge is available as a digital download. Yeah, and it has been um, slightly revised. There's some new stuff in there. Is there a version with Stephen Fry reading out for those of illiterate uh, an illiterate uh, persuasion? I like audiobooks. I'm sure there is. Or uh, right, practice press release of the week. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. A forebear of pointless press releases uh, in the future. We were talking about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have appointed the same agency to run their press releases uh, that has been working uh, happily with the uh, Circuit of the Americas for several years. Excellent. That's going to have a never-ending <laughs> amount of... Uh... But uh, this week's winner, mm-hmm. Sayat, uh, have launched the Sayat Leon Euro Cup app. For mobile devices. In right. order Are you to sure bring... it's not seat? No. In order right. to bring people closer than ever to the single make series. Whoop. Right. Yes. With this digital platform that can be downloaded through the thing or the other thing, Seat the... have created a comprehensive channel of information for the Seat Leon Euro Cup, useful for both fans and media. Mm-hmm. The app right. means that races can be watched live from any mobile technology, whether a smartphone or a tablet, thanks to real-time timing and the chance to see all not the passes. My, I bet it's not my smartphone or my computer. No. No. Passes and excitement via live timing. It's no. also possible to see the press notes and write-ups, photos from the uh, international series, all the results, standings, information. Hang on. on tracks and Hang on. Stop. Among Pause. Other features. Halt. Desist. Right. Shouldn't this have come out in the season when there was some racing to look forward to? Isn't that finished now? I think they still have a round to go. <laughs> round. Uh, through oh, this yeah. development, set have amplified the existing platforms available to follow the Satellite Euro Cup with the websites uh, and the official Facebook page, as well as profiles on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if wow, you want to download the new Satellite on Euro Cup app, you simply have to log on to thing or other thing, uh, depending on your device. Uh, on your thing, yeah. 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 Uh, one of the first people to try it was Sayat Ambassador Laia Sainz, who only recently competed in the 24 Hours of Barcelona at the wheel of a Sayat Leon Cup car. Yes, she did. Uh, the car was already known to the Sayat representatives as last year she competed uh, in the final round of the 2014 Sayat Leon Euro Cup campaign as a big fan. How many times did they actually say Sayat or Sayat Leon in this? Quite a lot. Yes. Uh, okay, so Sans is over the moon to have the new app at her fingertips. It means now I can study all my rivals live in action. I love the set there. No, no, you can't, because you'll be in the car and you won't be watching it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and the set Leon Cup is a great car. If she right, I Hang want on. to see pictures of her in the car l- with the thing mounted on the dashboard, so she is looking people up on the on the ditch as she goes around. Well, she'd be lucky anyway because most tracks have got rubbish um, rubbish Wi-Fi, anyway. yeah. yeah. And that's all there's time for well, there's tonight. One more paragraph of this. Oh, please. Really? Who leave out say 
Leon or Euro Cup? Yeah. Anything you, that you read? Who are you wanting to hear from in a Seat Motorsport press release? Rob Huff. Mm. <laughs> Ten <laughs> years ago, maybe. No, actually, talk about that. Sorry, I have a Seat-related thing. In um, the s- Escape, the Snowdome thing in Milton Keynes, yes. there's one of those... Um, Snowdome. Hang the, on, I'll just shake it up a bit. <laughs> it's cool the, there's one of those little kind of two-seater virtual experience things. You know, the little, uh-huh. the, the ride-on machines where you, yes. where you go up and a down. A stimulator. Yeah. So, yeah, I was sitting there. It, it, I, was, I was a bit bored because... Um, Get to the point, anyway, Damon. So I was looking at what the options were for this at 250 a throw, uh-huh. thinking NASA space trip, obviously. Yeah. Formula One. Formula Monaco. One. Go round Space Mountain. Perhaps yeah. something you know, incredible. Toboggan and the quest to run. Yes. Nope. It was Lap of Knockhill with Gordon Shedden in a Seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Gordon uh, Shedden, British Touring Car Champion. But not yes. then. Then it was in, in the Seat Leon Cup. It's oh, a yeah. very, very read old. Read the last paragraph three, without think. the word Seat Leon or Cup. Euro Cup. Yeah. Uh, so more. the person you want to hear from, of course, is uh, the director of sport at that manufacturer, Jaime uh-huh. Puig. Yeah. Jaime Puig. Oh, right. Sorry. He saw merits in the new app. Any person from wherever in the world will no longer have an excuse to miss the races of the. I think it is fantastic what can be seen from the palm of your hand, and you can Pardon? enjoy the excitement <laughs> that our drivers create. <laughs> It's a, it's a useful tool, as much for journalists as it is for teams or fans, and it's to allow you to line. have detailed information <laughs> or a reference for any part of the SLEC. Amazing. Uh, I'm look, it's, it is amazing what you can see from the palm of my uh, hand. Well, you won't be, well your palm, Very your, short your phone can't get the same the cup thing anyway. No, so you, can't. All you can see is your hand. Right, that's all we've got time for tonight. We've run over uh, and uh, trying to squeeze... Animal. Too much of yes. The uh, Martin Haven has just tweeted said for if you, for those of you who are going to listen to the Bruno Twelve Hours this weekend for the authentic feel, listen to it in the back garden at night. Uh, so uh, all, all very good. Uh, and there's if you a want North... to go into your back garden now, a repeat of that race is about to start. Is it okay? So let's other, all step out. Other back gardens are available, uh, but not other races. And <laughs> thank you to the team for the. Uh, for the weekend, back in the UK, Bruce and Alex, uh, as well as Nick Martin and Joe Bradley for I never did the rally Bruno news, did I? No, there's no time for that. Although I need to talk to you about the Clonmel Black Pudding Rally series. That we need to talk about that next week, I think. Uh, there's no time to explain, because the llama has dessert to eat, which I haven't had time to do yet. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.